Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the SmackDown 6 podcast. It is awesome to have you back with us. And you know who else is awesome and is back with us, who I love and is great, is my co-host today, the one and only Daniel Padapaw. What's up, man? What's up, Matt? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Longtime friend Daniel. Caught up a little bit before the podcast begins, so our camaraderie is fresh for you guys. We are just... We're just we're just vibing here. Now, Daniel, before we get into the show this week, there's something I was asking our guests the last few weeks. I asked my brother, I asked uh, Brian, and I'm wondering if you could you can answer this for me. Is there a spot in wrestling that you don't like that you're like, ugh, I hate when that happens? So just to give you an example, oh, Brian's that's a last great week. Question. I, I remember Brian's last week was um, like the whole like you're in a chin lock, but then you kind of like rally and you elbow the guy and like essentially the thing where everybody's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and my and, and Will's Will Vaughn's was um you know waiting outside for the dive you know like like, like a guy's gonna do a dive and the guy outside's gonna like okay. he's he's moving like he's in like a he's like in a punch out video game and you're like come on man like or or even worse they just stand there and they're like hit me it's like Joker and Dark Knight hit me yeah see so that's that's really interesting oh man mine's weird I think mine's a cheat but I'm gonna go for it okay, anyway please yeah no no um. When uh, wrestlers, uh, a few key guys especially, when one of their signature moves is just to flip up into the turnbuckle in the corner. Oh, yes, yes. But like, when the way Triple H does it? Or the way, or the way, or the way well, like, so uh, Triple H, tri- more like Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah, I'm Triple sorry. H Ric Flair, had... Triple H does a thing where he, like, he, like, keels out of the ring almost. He, like, yeah, so with his yeah. elbow. Like, he wraps his elbow around yes. the rope and kind of flips it. Imagine you right now. It's one of those things I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. It is that. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So, but my pet peeve is that Per capita, that is botched more often than anything else I've seen. Oh, interesting! So they just the they often sucks. don't get they often don't get up like they just kind of hit into the <laughs> turnbuckle and fall backwards. Right. Um, so it's really cool when it works. Um, and recently, I was watching the uh, Stone Cold uh, Broken Skull sessions with oh, yes. the Undertaker Part Two. Uh, they're calling just recently it released in our timeline here. That's right. That's right. And uh, at WrestleMania 18, uh, Undertaker rips Rick, whips Ric Flair to the turnbuckle. He tries this thing. He falls on his head. And then they regroup. And Undertaker's like, so why try that again? Nope. <laughs> and they do it again, and it works. So, so that's my pet peeve, because I like yeah. it so much. I like it so much when it works, and it frustrates me when it doesn't work. So it's not really in the category that you're talking about, but that's right. the first thing that came to mind for me. It's like a weirdly low percentage move with the workout that way. Yeah, because all yeah. the other stuff that you're talking about um, in this category, um, I've just embraced it wholeheartedly right. in terms of just like the <laughs> rules of the art. Like I'm just so bought in that referees well, I mean, are made of glass and yes. that, you know, pe- people. Oh, man. <laughs> this, this episode is referees made out of. Yeah, just gets completely destroyed. Yes. Yeah. No, well, last week was worse, but this this week has something interesting for sure. Yes. But oh, last, last week. I oh, mean, last was... week when the referee got a ladder to the face. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, was it the pay-per-view? It was the pay-per-view. Undertaker, Brock Lesnar. Oh, the yeah, ref, yeah, yeah. The ref gets bumped three distinct times oh yeah yeah it was stupid anyway. oh yeah i look i was i was thinking about ref bumps today how it's like a whole like how anytime my disposition whenever i see ref bump now i imagine this is like a mature wrestling fan this is like a lot of their common reaction whenever i see it now i was like all right like I, I i put my hands on my hips i tilt my head to the screen and i'm like okay so what are you gonna do to earn this moment of foolishness so like, like what is this gonna like 
Is it going to lead to something? Like, I'm just immediately, I'm like, okay, prove it to me. And it's weird because, like, you know, very very few matches or, like, even other things in wrestling where I'm just kind of like, all right, tell me what you got. You know, it's like, but in this, I'm I'm like, I'm very like, hmm. But I'm going to, I'm going to argue, Matt, that tonight we have an amazing example of a ref bump with huge dividends. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll get to it. You know what? Let's, let's get into, let's get into the show. So this week, Daniel, we are talking about. The October 3rd, 2002 episode of SmackDown. It is the 164th episode of SmackDown, which is hilarious looking back at like uh, how many SmackDowns there's been because now there's like almost a thousand of them. <laughs> this is insane. So this is where we're at. I don't think I mentioned the the number of SmackDowns before this one. So this one was uh, taped October 1st, 2002. It, was, it aired uh, October 3rd, 2002. Is that right? Yeah. Film on, shot on Tuesday. It's film released on Thursday night. I was like, I was weirdly doubting myself there. Anyway, we are at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, do you have a Cajun heritage, Daniel? Am I right about this? I do, man. I do. So That's you're you're blood. watching this show and you're like, you're like, I get it. I get these people. <laughs> <laughs> these are all. Yeah, my my blood is shivering in my bones. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I just want some gumbo. No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, the it's Daniel, it's yeah. funny because my Cajun heritage is very different. Like. Oh yeah. So so my my family heritage are the folks that like decided to just like be colonized and like right. just kind of like they gave it. we they just caved. Up. Yeah, we we just gave up. <laughs> I, I I'm not I'm not of the cool cage of variety that went down south and said f you we're yeah. doing our own thing. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about gumbo and <laughs> all sorts of French <laughs> accent stuff and. I can't even think of anything. I can't think of anything else without shrimp. I can't do it. I can't even do that kind of Creole accent thing. That's different anyway. Creole's a little bit different. Yeah, we're in Lafayette, Louisiana. And you know what? So one thing we're tracking, Daniel, is the uh, the ratings. Because I think it's important with SmackDown where it's this B show. It's not as big as Raw, even though they are kind of trying to make it on par with them. Well, we're right now, the- last week and this week, they've been claiming that they are the... Well, the best they, wrestling show. They talk about that. Well, it's funny. So this week, so the show which they are bragging about it, um, they got a three point six on TV. Which I'll just remind everybody that if they got a three point six today. They would there'd be fireworks at Titan Tower. They would they'd be losing their minds. This is this would be an absolutely <laughs> incredible rating in two thousand twenty. Um, but three so three point six. Did it beat Raw this week? No, but it did tie Raw this week. Okay, so, Ron, so I'm sure if you dug into the numbers and went back and looked at it, you could figure something out with the. Uh, the, the the audience score or kind of like the uh, the demo I guess is the, the phrasing for it. they give one beat the other for the demo I don't know but just in the raw you know number TV rating it was a tie which I think is kind of fun so before we get into this week's episode and velocity let's talk about last week's episode so last week's episode there was a bunch of like I'll say okay stuff uh, but mainly there was a fantastic Eddie Guerrero versus Edge no DQ match, which saw Edge come out on top of that feud. It was it was even said as much. They said that's the end of this feud essentially. And then there was a solid triple threat match in the main event with Rey Mysterio besting Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Also, the Undertaker got attacked by Brock after his match, and he got very bloody. So this feud must continue, and we see this feud continue on this very episode. Now, before we get into SmackDown, we're going to talk about Velocity, episode 20 of Velocity, because this is the show that the good folks at the Cajun Gnome in Lafayette, Louisiana, would have seen before SmackDown that night. And Daniel, it starts with a couple dark matches. Oh, tell me about them. I hope they're beautiful. Well, I mean, the first one sounds great. Funaki defeated Nunzio. <laughs> so Nunzio, this is, this is, as far as I can tell, this is like kind of when Nunzio's first coming into the WWE, because he wasn't really around before this. I don't remember seeing his name on Velocity or any of these dark matches we're talking about on the podcast, so... The full-blooded Italians are—they're thinking about making their move. Okay, okay, that's that's exciting. They 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 have they make a nice splash. Yes, make a nice little splash. 
I would say so. And Nuncio, I yeah, I don't recall disliking him too much, so it's good too. I mean, it's he's a like, little guy, right? He's a little guy. Yeah, he's gonna be a cruiserweight. He might be yeah. a champion at some point. Well, you know what? I I I'm happy to plead ignorance because for the purpose of the show, I'll just see what happens and we'll talk about it when we get to it. <laughs> I think he, he, he certainly debuts before the end of this podcast, though. Our, our our run of episodes in early 2004. I'm sure he shows up. Also, dark match on Velocity. The vi- the big Valboski defeated. Oh, right. Okay. Defeated Shelton Benjamin. And, uh, I, yeah, I know. So that's kind of a significant one there. And so seeing this on here reminded me of when I saw uh, on on someone put a dark match on YouTube. There's some of these like. If you go on YouTube, you can find some stuff that definitely isn't supposed to be out there where it's like dark matches or shows like like stuff before SmackDown in like 2001. And what I one of the ones I saw was it was a Mr. Perfect versus Brock Lesnar match before Brock's debut. Oh, and it's funny okay. because because you watch it. It's a normal dark, dark show match. And Mr. Perfect wins with a perfect plex. But the people in the comments are like, what's going on? Why did he beat Brock Lesnar? <laughs> it's like, this is a house show, man. Like, no, this doesn't. This does not matter. This is nothing. Brock hasn't debuted or anything like that. So interesting to see Val Venus, who hasn't even sniffed Velocity or uh, SmackDown in, in like a month or more. He's just in the dark matches, just beating up the future of SmackDown. Well, that's really interesting because yeah. he was, you know, he was worth being on the card for a while. There There was a couple of years where he was just, Val you know, Venus, you mean? yeah, a nice mid carder. Well, you know what? He was a guy who had he, – he was a guy with – people thought it was a huge upside. You know, I, 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 uh, I'm I almost afraid to make this comparison, but he's almost like a Rico figure where in you know, the kind of the, the, the scuttlebutt in the early 2000s was, hey, this Rico, this guy in OVW is really great. You just see what happens to him. And then he comes in and he doesn't have a great gimmick. That's what happens. So Val Venus, of course, he debuts in, I want to say, 98. He has this gimmick where he's a, <clears throat> a porn star. And – you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, you're not going to be a main adventure with that gimmick, but it was very, you know, popular at least, or very of that time. But I think that you know his, you know, his ability to work and everything like that was a little overshadowed by the fact that he had this insane character, which I don't even know if it's really, you know, we talked about the big Valbowski a few times on this podcast, trying to figure out like, is that a big Lebowski thing? Is he doing that? He's not doing that. He's just his character. He doesn't want to save Valvinus anymore. I don't know. Who knows? We talked about Valvinus enough. Okay, on to. <laughs> The televised matches. So these are the ones I saw a little bit of on Velocity because people put them on YouTube because they're not on the WWE network. So you two can find this out if you uh, really want to. Uh, and actually, before before the matches start, there's an interview, which is so crazy to think that these shows would ever be like a proper show, like a wrestling show with like storyline and everything like that. So Funaki interviews this guy named John Cena. I was just going to joke. I bet it was Funaki, number one announcer. It, it was, was Funaki, number one announcer. Um, fresh off defeating Nunzio earlier. I'm sure he just kind of showered and put a new shirt on. Um so and he's feeling okay after the beatdown he got the week before. He's feeling he's feeling all right. He's no worse for wear, honestly, considering <laughs> what happened to him last week with Brock. So Funaki interviews John Cena and he faces the big bully Albert. And uh, John Cena says that uh, Albert is the first guy who to steal a kid's lunch money and actually use it for lunch, which is a he's a bully. It's <laughs> fat joke. Um, yeah, John Cena. Is Re- just, real insensitive, John. I know, especially now. You'd be like, come on, man. Um, yeah, John is just he is just in search of a uh, purpose here. This is like he does not have a. No, that that said, John Cena does defeat Albert after he uses a couple of his uh, finishers, the Protoplex. So he like he does he does beat Albert, who has been a kind of a, a world eater, world beater here on Velocity before. So that's good. And, and Cena was wearing gold and black, which is the New Orleans Saints colors. Um, 
and yeah, Cena's like trapped on Velocity's point. It's like uh, you, know, you know, like in Superman, Superman Two, whatever, like the Phantom Zone or something like that. Just <laughs> the, the confines of between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. on Saturday nights in the fall of 2002. He is stuck there. It is green, and he is green too. Um, Billy Kidman defeated Doug Basham with a shooting star press. This is when there's only one Basham floating around on Velocity for some reason. No Shaniqua to speak of. And uh, Tajiri beats Shannon Moore with a kind of a savat kick or kind of a super kick thing. So what happened was Shannon Moore, he's like, he's going, he's, Shannon Moore is lined up for the buzzsaw kick. Do you know what I mean by buzzsaw kick? Where he's like, a guy's kneeling, and then Tajiri like kicks him with like the 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 heel, the top of his foot and the head. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he goes for that, Shannon Moore dodges it, and then Tajiri just lines up another one and kicks him and pins him. <laughs> oh, great. He's like, okay, that's not going to work? Fine, boom, I'll kill you. That's fine. This is really interesting because, like, there's a lot of guys that have been making regular appearances on SmackDown recently, and they're yeah. just not on tonight's show. But they're making a hearty appearance on Velocity. So oh, they're good for them. There's just, like, there's like three weeks where Shannon Moore is all over SmackDown. I'm like, what are you doing? What is the point? Like, I don't know what you guys see and never what the point of this is or who he's got like um, uh, blackmail information on. But who knows? So, Daniel, let's get into this week's episode of SmackDown, this October 3rd episode. And, uh, this is a very memorable episode for me, I gotta say. And we start with a very trippy little intro from Stephanie. Can I tell you how much I love this right off the hop? Can Thanks. I just can I just tell you that this was like amazing? It was almost like like hypersexual in a weird way. <laughs> like, like like the way they were stalling out her voice and making her like enunciate things, and it was just kind of so that's really interesting. So okay, so I'll, but it was just... also cool. Yes, let me describe it kind of generally too. So, so essentially, Stephanie is so. It's in the, and this is in lieu of a uh, the the proper um, beautiful people intro with all the people seeing it. So she has that music underneath her, and so she's saying things like tonight. And it goes tonight, and it's changing angles, and uh, you see her, and she says, "We're you know." She talks about how there's going to be an Edge versus Kurt Angle match. There's going to be an Undertaker Matt Hardy false count anywhere match. It's going to be a Chris Benoit and Rey Mysterio match. And she says it's the first time that it happened anywhere. And I was like, come on, Stephanie. And I looked it up, and that's true. Yeah, well, that's what they were claiming, and that's what they were saying when the match got started. And Yeah. yeah. They, you know, they, they did wrestle at a WCW house show, but, I mean, they they, they would count that as hilarious. They're like, if you were okay. one of 300 people in, uh, in Salem-Winston, North Carolina in 1996, you might have seen this match. Which they didn't. So, so yeah, she's doing this whole thing. And, and, and during this juddery little intro, there's a couple – like. They cut to they cut to her. They cut to reverse angle shots. She's in front of this kind of bank of televisions, and she also they have these little insert shots where she's talking, and then it cuts to another shot of her, and she has this almost kind of like little flirty look on her face, or she's kind of looking over, or she's trying to be like like mm, look at me. And it's one of those I don't know what the effect is. It almost looks like they just like kept the camera rolling. We're just like okay, just look, and you're like what? like. Anyway, I think that's maybe where you're getting a little yeah. bit of that. Uh, yeah, well, well just a little a little breath breathy. You know? Oh, like sure, so, sure. That too. You know, well, they kind of, they're playing with this a little bit too, right? Where they're like, okay, they're like, like our general manager is this attractive twenty-five-year-old who has been on WWE television for what three or four years now. <laughs> the other thing too mm-hmm. is like we've seen her. She sees them. Yeah. But this is the first time they've ever been like, you know, here's, you know, here she is as a woman who you can find attractive because I think before I don't think she's ever been a good person. I mean, she was a, she was good when she was Vince's daughter and she was stolen by the Undertaker. The where to Stephanie. Uh, but then she was Triple H's woman, and then she was not, and she was still a bad guy. And then uh, now she's not. She's just fine. It's kind of funny that Stephanie McMahon is a manager of SmackDown, and she's a face. She's a good person. Right. So, so, but also in this little intro, 
like she lists all these matches and then there's like almost like as a oh and by the way tonight is the beginning of a tournament to crown the first wwe tag team champions uh you know aka for the purpose of this the smackdown title belts the tag title belts and which starts uh, now it starts now and so <laughs> she has these and so she's holding them she's holding these belts up and she says we're gonna we're gonna have a tournament and the winners we crowned our next pay-per-view no mercy and so, okay, Daniel, this is where we have to talk about these belts because this is like, like this, these, this tag title, this tournament, this division is like a centerpiece. This is a jewel in the crown of the SmackDown Six era, and thus a jewel in the crown of this podcast. It's such an important kind of time, kind of a foundational time for SmackDown. But she has these belts, and what do you think of the belts? Well, I mean, they're blue, like they. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of blue to them. It's true. They the, don't the, have the, the straps. Unlike later, like they would, what they would do. Yes, which which is the worst. But but I was surprised that this early on, they really leaned into the brand specific, um, uh, colors and things. Yeah. Like that. So well, that's one of the most. But otherwise, I didn't. Yeah. You know, I just thought they were belts. I assume that the raw belts look similar. Yeah. I just don't know. So here's the thing, right? So the the interesting thing about this is. The SmackDown, so these WWE tag title belts. Okay, so what's they do this confusing thing during their brand split where they're not willing, they're not willing to say these are the SmackDown belts, these are the Raw belts, which is funny because that's what they do now for all the titles except for the World titles. Um, you know, it's the SmackDown Women's title and the SmackDown the the Raw Women's title and the SmackDown title titles. Anyway, so they don't do that. So in this time, it's the WWE champion, which is Brock Lesnar, and the WWE tag titles, which are these ones, and Raw gets the World ones. It's such a it's such an amorphous distinction. It's like, it's really, they try to make them like synonymous, right? Like they're just like right. WWE and world. You can't really like, you know, there's no real clear difference. Obviously one is not better than the other. And so the world tag team titles that are on raw, they recently had a redesign where they have this new modern kind of thing. They almost have like a, a little chunk out of them. And I don't really know how to describe them. They look a little bit more modern to me. The old belts they're replacing are the classic WWF tag title design, which this one borrows the design from. So they okay. were so on Raw. They get rid of the old belts, and then on SmackDown they've released. They have these brand new ones that look that are the exact same shape and everything like that. Now the difference is so so those tag titles that like the ones this, these SmackDown tag titles are based on, they look like the ones that, like the Demolition and the Hart Foundation and the New Age Outlaws and like so essentially everybody from every tag team that you saw growing up had those belts. But this one's different. Um, you know, instead of this kind of this dull bronzy gold, which the old ones used to be, this one's like a really bright yellow kind of gold like it really pops right and like you said there's like this kind of the blue text on it which is this dark blue which kind of evokes the smackdown thing to me which is interesting and i remember i think a couple years ago i was like i remember the smackdown tag title belts and like remember finally this whole era and i was like oh yeah they're like bright silver right and i went back and looked it was like no they are bright gold like they don't look like that at all uh, i just thought they would do i thought they would do silver like smackdown silver well, it's it's hilarious right now because even as you're describing them, I watched the episode today. Yeah, and in my mind they were silver. <laughs> so there we go. So if you guys, this is like the Mandela effect, right? This whole concept that you might be remembering something differently. So if you look back and you think the SmackDown tag title belts at this point are silver, they are not. They are bright gold. They are bright yellow kind of gold, and uh, they look great. And I love them, and I want to own them and wear them and. I think it'd be right. I think by the end of the podcast, I probably need to have them. It would be, make sense. It's just proper. It's right <laughs> we'll, we'll, make, we'll make sure you get them. We'll make sure you get them. Thank you. You will make sure. The audience will learn. <laughs> we'll do that. And so, yeah. So at the end of it, Stephanie says that the, the first round is going to start right now. Um, and because we, we're doing this instrumental version of Beautiful People. And so we go right into 
Los Guerreros making their way to the ring. And our good friend, their good opponents are Rikishi and Mark Henry. So I got to tell you, yeah. as weird as that intro was, yes, it got me super pumped for the yeah. episode. Oh, it yeah. did a really good job of clearly articulating why I should still be watching. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I really feel like WWE has lost the knack of. Um, oh, yeah. During well, their they're, programming. They're not to even be this, like, like, here they're not that consistent with that, honestly. But here, but no, this but episode getting, they are. They're getting For better. Sure. They're getting better. I feel yeah. like they're really hitting their stride here. Yeah, no, it's so, true. Yeah. And I'm like, just like, hey, here's all the guys that are going to be facing each other. You're excited about it. You want to see it. And it's also like, they're getting away from that whole, that uh, attitude era thing of just like, <laughs> if you watch that show, you're like, is any match booked here? Like, or is everybody just like, so many matches are just like, I hate you. I hate you. Let's fight right now. And you're kind of like, what? <laughs> What's going which on I mean, that? which makes sense, I guess. Just a bunch Vaguely. of testosterone <laughs> backstage. <laughs> I just like it because if, if you again, I'll, I'll play my game of if wrestling is real, then the people who are running like if you're watching a raw in 1999, you're like, you know, you have a company where you have to make people fight. It's like, how many matches have you booked or do you just live with the chaos knowing? Well, you know, I think that probably Kane's going to beat up, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of Ken Shamrock and then, uh, you know, um, not Hooman to Guerrero. Rios is going to come out anyway. Well, that really parlays nicely into my. A frustration that I have with this yes. tag team tournament. This one here? Yeah. So yes, Los okay. Guerreros are coming out, and I'm excited. I'm like, okay, yeah. yeah. Like, they're a tag team. They feel like a tag team. They've been working a lot together. Like, this is good. Yes. And then you have Mark Henry and who was it? Rikishi. Well, okay, here's Rikishi. the question. So, what are, so you what got are Mark these... Henry and Rikishi. So what makes yeah. them a tag team? And so playing your game of if this was a real... If wrestling was real, yeah, and you're booking divisions and you're booking matches, wouldn't it be the rule that you are either in the tag team division oh, or you are in the singles division, right? And like you, you can't just jump between them. Like you are just a tag team competitor or you are a singles competitor. And you, you know, that makes a lot of sense if you are because if you're a guy, okay, you let's say Daniel, our dreams come true, and you and I are a tag team. Oh, praise the Lord. On some level, you know, we, if we were there backstage and, you know, we're looking at matches that night, like the idea that, you know, oh, actually, Daniel, you're going up against um, it's you against Mark Henry. You'd be like, but we like we train together. We work together like we're like we have a whole thing. We're trying to, like, make our team work well. And then you're just like, we just don't wrestle on a team. Like, it wouldn't make it wouldn't make sense. Like, you would ha- it would truly be divisions where now you could do a thing where, you know, in theory, Mark Henry and Rikishi, they could be backstage and going, OK, look. Things have not we've not been killing the last few weeks. I mean, the biggest thing you did is you dressed in drag on a pay-per-view and made out with our <laughs> boss. That's Mark Henry says to Score. Yeah. Well, on some level, it's like props. Here's a fist bump. But like you would you would think they would have to kind of go up to him and try to be like, let why don't you know, let us marry our fortunes together here and let's uh let's make a tag team and let, let's see what we can do something, make something of it. Yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense. But yeah. to formalize that somehow mm-hmm. and like to actually have like the risk factor of like, yeah. okay, I am forsaking my singles career to pursue a career in the tag team division. Now, Daniel, it sounds like you want to have a uh, some sort of commitment ceremony with a tag team. And now I'm <laughs> now I get crazy flashbacks to the last time you were on this podcast. I I just that didn't go I, well. I am so disappointed that that didn't work out. I was so happy for Chuck and Billy, and <laughs> it just went downhill from there. But they're oh, gonna put, in this same. My point I'm trying to make, yeah. they come up later. Like it's this, it's oh, the same yeah. kind of thing that frustrates me. But this this whole idea of 
just why don't we because what you were saying about the tag teams um, we're working together we're trained together we're working something out it doesn't make sense for me just to wrestle somebody else yeah because even as far as if we're pretending it's real I'm good now as a tag team competitor I'm good at minute two minute long stints in the ring and then I'm out right. yeah so it, my it, conditioning is totally different Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, we're talking like this is more hockey shifts, right? Where you're just like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to work real hard for two minutes and I'm going to come out and I'm going to time to kind of recover hundred percent. That's a totally, it's, it's a completely different or, you know, I mean, lots of sports work this way too. Offense, defense and football, right? Where you're kind of like, okay, in football, you're like, okay, I'm going to go real hard for like 10 minutes here and then I'll be off for another, you know, 12. So it's a good point. And you know what? I mean, I don't know if AEW is doing this where there's this alternative kind of wrestling company that's maybe thinking about that way. They're not as overt about it. Now, this is interesting because the brand split, things are a little bit tenuous in terms of who can be in that. And I mean, there's a reason that we don't see a bracket for this tournament because there are more teams exactly as random as this one is, including one. one I remember watching the No Mercy 2002 pay-per-view uh, probably about a year ago now. And at one point in that show, they show you the tournament bracket for what happened. And if you look at it, and I can't wait for them to fully show us the bracket, um, you're like, what? Who is that team? Because they show at one point, they, I'm not going to tell you who it is. There's a team of two people, and you're like, they were a team, and they lost immediately? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, but it, like, that's, so that's, that's a whole thing. So, I mean, something, something that you're hitting on, and I hope I've talked about it before in this podcast. I don't want to go into it too much if I have, but I think wrestling would benefit a lot from looking at the storylines that happen in regular sports and making use of them, not to make wrestling boring, not to do any of that, but you can enrich it with real world consequences that are interesting. You can talk about contracts. You can talk about trades. You can make that. And like, I think the, the, ten, you know, the tendency is like, well, we don't want to get too technical with it or else we'll talk about trading Seth Rollins one week and then the next week we don't stick consistent with it. But it's like, no, but if you like, if you adhere to some things, just very simple, very simple things like, like, like making guys want to get out of brands because of trades and forcing things off and saying, okay, you can put me in a match against uh, Rikishi this week, but I'm not going to come out. I'm going to take the forfeit because I don't want to wrestle for you anymore. You need to trade me. I don't care that you're not getting enough value for you. You know, you could do all those things. Yes. I think there's a lot of benefit in that. And I think that SmackDown and Raw have been doing that in this era that we're watching now. They've been a, yeah. a little bit, not, not as flushed out and with, it doesn't have the same impact and it's not, yeah, you know, you could take it further and be better. But I think the core thing that's missing yeah. from wrestling is just the simple idea of being able to go onto the website and look up the stats. Where is everybody in the right. championship race? Right. Like, where are they? Like Rey Mysterio, he lost, then he won. Then he lost, then he lost, then he, like, so where does it actually put him? And then all of a sudden he's in a main event. And it's like, okay, but that's awesome. It's his hometown. <laughs> right. <laughs> Last week, right? Like, that allowances sense. for that. Yeah, yeah. But I think wrestling would benefit from being able to pretend that I'm going on and looking at a real stat sheet and seeing, right. oh, like, Rey Mysterio is kind of three slots away from... Number one contender spot. Right. He just needs to beat this person, this person, this person, or well, whatever. The, the even the, There's even a little bit of talk of how the number one contender situation would work on this show. And that <laughs> show but later on, we can, we can hit on that as well. He's just, he's just making stuff yeah. up. It's great. And you, you know what? I think what you're describing, I think is there's kind of – you can make an interesting spectrum with it too where I think like – 
again, I'll mention AEW does an almost kind of more slavish version of that where they do every Friday. They're like, here are the rankings for the people in, in the tournament. Now, what they what people kind of gave them grief for or what people predicted would happen earlier on has kind of come to fruition where um, they, re- you know, they released a number one contendership thing for the, the world title. And it's like, okay, so the number one contender is the guy who's going to wrestle the next pay-per-view, but the next four guys down have all wrestled for and lost the main event. They have all lost the world title match. Right. It's like, so what are we doing here, right? So I would almost want to do something kind of on a softer stats scale where you'd be like, you know, where maybe SmackDown has like a winner's circle where essentially it just denotes where the mid-card kind of ends and the upper mid-card begins. You're just kind of like, here's 10 guys. We think they're great. And it would be the guys like you're obviously your Rey Mysterio's, your Eddie Guerrero's, your Kurt Angle's, you know, your edges, stuff like that. Um, and then that way, at least you're kind of like you, you could use that to be like, well, that guy's a member of that. So it would make more sense that he'd wrestle a guy in there and his losses against a guy in there wouldn't matter as much. I mean, it's kind of a conference thing for college football, too. It's a similar thing where, OK, if a good team is facing a good team and they lose, they're not going to get penalized as much as if they lost to a little bummer team. that doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, and that and that's supposed to be what the U.S. Championship is, and the Intercontinental Championship is, and the right like that's another right. that's another division well, Daniel, within the singles talking, division. Talking about mid card titles, I'm not familiar with that concept. Having just watched <laughs> only watching the SmackDown Six era up to this point, it's just, I'm agnostic to these other titles you're talking about. I know. I'm, I'm so on sorry. Raw, they're all going to pull it away. So anyway, whatever you're talking about, Godspeed, whatever you're talking about, I'm looking forward to. Look at the U.S. title. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to that. So all of that to say that Rikishi and Mark Henry are seemingly together because they're fat. That's what I – they're and, team and, fat. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's unfair to call Mark Henry that because he's, like, also a weightlifter, but – So last night I watched Survivor Series. Oh, yeah. And uh, they did this big tribute to The Undertaker. And so, you know, all the Bone Street crew guys came out. <laughs> Rolling my eyes. All this stuff. And um, so Rikishi was out there. And it was just so funny to see him now. Because basically what I'm watching is I'm watching a little bit of the regular pay-per-views that are happening. And then SmackDown from 2002. Like, that that's my wrestling diet right now. Right. And so I'm like, my Rikishi is like exuberant, vibrant. He's in the zone. People love him. Oh, yeah. And then he's just coming out and he's, yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's old and he's slow (laughs) and he's (laughs) reserved. And it's just, it was just a funny moment for me. So I just wanted to give Rikishi a little shout out. You're old, but you're still cool. Good for him. I mean, it makes sense. He did move well when he was, and we, we, we see some of that too. So. Oh yeah, so old guys. So yeah, this team team fat guys. So, so those Guerreros, they jump the big boys before the uh, before the match. Then the bell rings, and the uh, the hefty gents they take your advantage. They blast Chavo and Eddie in the corner. Um, I'm gonna stop doing the synonym names for this tag team <laughs> just to be clear. So Michael Cole reminds us at this time that there was a big fan reaction that Eddie got last week after losing to Edge, which is funny to me because that doesn't really lead to anything. Last week they had right. Eddie Guerrero. He has this whole moment where. It seems like maybe it's this, this kind of we get to celebrate him. Maybe he's going to start being a good guy again, and then nothing happens. And I don't know. Well, yeah, so, Ed, give Eddie props or what? I don't know what the point of that is. Yeah. So I just wrote Eddie has respect coming off the ladder match. So it's like they could go, they could start building him as a face out of this if they wanted to, but they're not going to. Right. So it's just kind of like I think they're just trying to make the point. Hey, this guy's a scoundrel, but he has actual chops. Like he's right. he's a threat. Like he's he's worth his weight in. 
wrestling gold, you know. I choose to appreciate that because the, he's been losing so much recently <laughs> that it's like it's like good. I want to see him you know, make make his make his own there. So um, Michael Cole also says there's another match this tournament coming up tonight, which is Billy and Chuck versus Reverend Devon and Batista. Right, which makes no sense. And then Zero it makes... sense. Batista's gone. We know Batista's gone. Uh, and I, I wrote here, I guess we'll see how this unfolds. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give a little spoiler alert. This is going to lead to my uh, my low light of the night. Yeah, mine, mine too. That's Beautiful. mine. Thank you. Okay, good. In a SmackDown that has a bikini contest, this is somehow not our low light of the night. <laughs> speaks to it. <laughs> because that bikini contest, am I right? Oh, Holy. boy. Okay, okay. So... <laughs> Second week in a row for that. We'll get there. So Eddie uh, Eddie dodges Rikishi's backside. Uh, which okay, so this is hilarious because yeah, they're please. still just playing up that ass. You know, they're just oh, like that's, that's, Eddie Guerrero. That's, his gimmick. Had, that's all it is. But but like not just Rikishi, but like Eddie now has oh, Eddie's, this like Eddie's PTSD yeah. about Rikishi's ass. It really, it's getting yeah, a little really, absurd. It's getting a little absurd for me. Well, I, I well, used to like it. I was a full ass supporter, and now I'm kind of. I'm backing that up. You're a half-ass kind of guy now. That's right. That's right. So I love pointing that out. It is weird to watch this show and be like, they have ass continuity on this? This is bizarre. So <laughs> so Eddie gets out of there. He tags in Chavo, uh, who promptly gets Samoan dropped. I love a spot in a tag match where a guy tags in, he's ready to go, and he immediately gets his ass kicked. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, we should have done that. So It works well. It's nice. It does. Chavo gets dumped by Mark Henry, who just tagged in. And I have to say, Mark Henry's tights here are a shade of purple that I can really only compare to the uh, A and B buttons on an SNES controller. So if you're not sure what uh, Mark Henry's color, what his tights are, that's what it is. It's a Super Nintendo purple. Uh, so Chavo distracts the ref, and Eddie starts to work on Mark Henry's legs. And uh, Chavo even tags in Eddie and holds on Mark Henry's leg. So Eddie Guerrero can do a helo flipping senton onto it. And this is where the commentators tell us there is another bikini contest tonight. So... Last week there was one, and we're doing another one tonight. And I gotta say, you know, I think that SmackDown is pretty well booked, uh, and that's why we're looking at it, right? We, this is a show that we think is is on a, on a level above a regular wrestling show. That's why we're talking about it this length. But like, this woman's stuff cannot be more uninspired. <laughs> They're just like I don't like, like truly. You you hear the the I don't know, do another bikini like, or or even they just look at it and they go like, okay, what did we do last week? It's like, well, we we have to be, we have to replace that with something. It's like, no, 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 just keep it in, copy and paste. It's fine. Let's do it again. No, but I think there's a. I I don't want to be that guy, but okay. there's a little more here. Well, yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. But because you know because Dom about... Marie issues a challenge last week. Yes. Okay. Let's we'll, we'll get let's get to it when we get there. I okay, think. Okay. Sure. Uh, so I'll just say because I do think they make a little bit more out of it. And they talk. Yeah. About, kind of. Uh, but but uh, I do think just to your point like, yeah. about yeah. like booking this show. I think it might be as simple as you're saying, but I think it's a smart move considering the era that we're in. We're in 2002, and you're booking a show full of great wrestling matches, or you're trying to, mm-hmm. and then you add in some TNA. <laughs> right. That was definitely and, the way I thought of it at the time. Absolutely. And that's, and that's just it. Right. And then you got gold. You're printing money. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, except, except, do, well, do I appreciate something. it? Do I like it? No. Do I understand where they were coming from at the time? Totally. I mean, it's not compelling, though. I think that's the problem. Well, it's not compelling for us. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, but but think think about yourself when you were watching this the first time. It I don't want to. Do, darn I don't, compelling. I don't want to. It was have, darn compelling to you. That's it was darn compelling to me this this afternoon. I had to like I had to like suppress it a bit. I had to be like, whoa, slow down there, man. You're well, you're you, above this. You're above this. You don't need this. You're above this. <laughs> 
get get a, your get a your cell phone. You put your selfie cam on. You don't need this. This isn't you. You don't need this. Who cares right. if Dominic's in there? Uh, okay. So back to the match. So after some extended cheating. So yeah, there's like instead of cheat, you know, they, the the Eddie and Chavo is going back and forth. So after that, Rikishi loses his patience and he gets in the ring, and Michael Cole applauds the ref for getting Rikishi out of there because he was in there illegally. Oh, this is excellent. This is He's just like it's funny to hear Michael Cole just state objects to the bad guy, like a good guy, like Ch- Rikishi is doing the wrong thing. He doesn't even care. He's like, no, no, he shouldn't be in there. It's bad. And so <laughs> while right after Michael Cole was like, I can't believe that guy, uh, the ref is distracted as a result, and Chavo comes with a chair and he just whacks Mark Henry's leg with it. And then uh, Eddie gets a lasso from El Paso, which I believe is yet unnamed. And I think it's the first time he ever gets anybody on it. This is a, you know, Eddie, we, you know, we've given him props for the last few weeks on the podcast of like, who does, he does a bunch of different submission moves. And you don't really think of him as like this kind of submission technician, but he's got a bunch. And so he pulls out this one here, which is kind of like this kind of a sharpshooter kind of lion tamer thing. He grabs your legs and it looks excellent. Yep. It, it looks, looks really good. so painful. Like yeah. I, I was just like into it because they did a really good job of working Mark Henry's ankle here. Like yeah, for they were whole. after it, and like a spot that you didn't mention that I really appreciate mm-hmm. is that when Mark Henry's trying to get back to his quarter, both Chavo and Eddie grab a leg each and drag him back to the middle of the ring, and uh, the ref scolds one. But it's just some some great stuff we're going on. They were just oh really, yeah. So yeah, so Mark really Henry's after that. Mark Henry's in the last from El Paso, and he just taps out. And they have the funny thing is they have this shot where you see Mark Henry tap out. You can see behind him on the apron is Rikishi just standing there, who just essentially just like lets it happen. And in wrestling, I mean, you can tag match, you can interrupt, and you can jump in. And you know, there's never really no one has really ever established that if you t- interrupt too much when you're not legal, you get disqualified. In theory, that's what happens, I guess. There's a reason you can count it and stuff like that. But Rikishi just stands in the apron like a loser and watches Mark Henry lose the uh, tight title tournament for them. So this 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 team that isn't really a team is as simply as that is just gone. Right in the in the common era, they they started to try and do some rules around tag team interference where you could only interfere once during a match. I don't know if that went anywhere. But anyway, I mean, just the, it, it was, was just, attempted. And it if was you look done. at the, the the from a ref's perspective, it's like, do you really want to, want to be the guy who disqualifies a guy the second time he gets in the ring and does that? Like, that doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, so Rikishi looks like a dope, sadly. So we take a break, and then after we see that, Rikishi and a trainer had to help uh, Mark Henry out of there. And you know, Tori's dead. Is that what he looks like? Or that wasn't Mar- that wasn't Al Wilson, was it? Al Wilson. Sorry, what are oh, you talking Tor- about? We're talking about Rikishi. And, oh, no, no, you're getting sorry. Oh, I, I got it. You're skipping ahead. That's sorry. okay. I'm that's sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. So I was, I was just going to note here that this is the second time that we've seen Mark Henry hurt his leg on this show because uh, you may remember Kurt Angle made him tap out to an ankle lock after uh, Mark Henry hurt himself on the floor a f- few weeks back. So Mark Henry has not had leg luck on SmackDown. But then, yes, you're right. The next segment after those poor guys drag Mark Henry out of the ring is Troy Wilson. She's backstage with an older man uh, who uh, we, we come to know as Al Wilson. Uh, and she I love this guy more than anything. Oh boy. I, well, I I've got so some bad news this. about his ultimate fate. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh oh. Does not always go. Do you actually not know what happens here? No, I don't. Oh. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm just. I'm watching episode by episode. I'm great. Okay, I'm not going to spoil for you what happens. Then. <laughs> this is great. Okay. Something happens. Something happens in the storyline that almost never happens in wrestling. I'll just say that. <laughs> Okay. And if everybody remembers Al Wilson, I'm just going to give you a significant look right now and just say, think about what happens to him. And just think about how that almost never happens in wrestling. Uh, not on purpose, at least. 
Anyway, so she, so Tori introduces her her dad to Billy and Chuck, and they are not wearing matching tights anymore because they're straight now. That's what I could think of as the explanation. That's right. That's right. Um, they and they got look. rid of their headbands because they're straight. And, headbands uh, are gone. I believe uh, later on, I know that Chuck Palumbo's hair changes. I think he even went through and just was like, no, no, I'm, I got my br- brunette hair again. So they are they're changing it up. So as uh, as Tori and Alan are talking to Billy and Chuck, Don Marie approaches the group. And uh, you may remember last week, uh, Don Marie kind of vaguely indicated she wanted to beat Tori at something. I guess maybe being an attractive woman. She didn't really go into much detail with it. And uh, anyway, so Tori mentions that she was talking to her dad about the tag team title tournament. And she thought that Billy and Chuck would win, which I think is nice if misguided. And uh, Don Marie <laughs> go, uh, flirts with Al Wilson and leaves. And Al turns to Tori and he kind of gives a face that's like, ah, don't worry about it. Which is like kind of a nice dad moment of just like, yeah, don't you're. <laughs> You're just, she's just going on. And just a note here that in fall 2002, Al Wilson is 61 and Don Marie is 32, which is kind of the joke of it. Uh, that's going to become more significant later on. <laughs> also, fun fact, Don Marie is now a nurse. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So she's, she's moved on to, I think Nidia is a chef. Some of these, some of these ladies for all they have to go through, uh, which I guess <laughs> the, my two examples are losing to Tori Wilson in the bikini contest. Uh, <laughs> They settle nicely. Have, they settle they have nicely. careers. You know, it is feeding people. Don Marie is probably Don Marie is probably putting in double shifts the ICU right now, making sure people don't die. Right, man. She she is she's a Boy. hero right now. I know. Sorry. Okay. So just just to be clear, when you're listening to this now, folks, this is but this is we're this in November, and this is going to come out. I think kind of January, February kind of time frame there. So um, hopefully, coronavirus is better. But I'm really hoping I don't. Uh, I don't know what's the word. Jinx it. I guess we'll see. So. Then we go to uh, Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, and they're they're watching last week's beating of the Undertaker, and Paul is wearing the is holding the WWE title, which I like, um, and so Paul Heyman says that Brock will have to give Taker his uh, his rematch at No Mercy, which gets a very obvious SmackDown pop. Yes. Ooh. So Heyman also says the match won't be just a regular match, and that Stephanie's going to tell them, but she hasn't told them what it is yet. There's going to be a stipulation there, so they kind of throw that out there, tease that for a little bit later on in the show. And then Matt Hardy is behind them, and he says he's going to beat Undertaker in his upcoming match. And Undertaker, um, uh, then, we, then we see Undertaker rather, uh, and he fixes his bandana as he sits on his bike. Uh, and uh, Taz says, "Taz says it's a good thing this match is false count anywhere because Matt Matt Hardy might fall somewhere," is what he says. <laughs> so, sure. Thanks, there. And I think Taz where, had some stupid stuff today. Oh, it is. Yeah. Is this where Matt Hardy talks about how if he beats Undertaker, he should be uh, number one contender? Oh no, let's later. Not on. yet. Not no, yet. Think, think, okay, yes, okay. I was wondering why I didn't note that, but it's later on. But but here, so at this point, I'm starting mm-hmm. to lose faith in this whole Matt Hardy situation. Um, but it gets redeemed a bit later. So yes. But you, just, lose faith, you mean like you're, you're watching? You're kind of like I don't want to see Matt Hardy keep losing, or like no, doing? no, just like I don't want to see Matt Hardy. Like I'm oh. just like why like why is he in this feud? Why like my question is, he is interjecting himself into this feud, and he does not look as though, yes, during the pay per view, he did make things a little better for Brock. Right. But all things considered, Brock and Heyman don't seem to want him around. So yeah. if they don't want him around. Why would he be around? Yeah, he seems like he's he's like a kind of a classic useful idiot kind of thing. I mean, they're just like they're happy for him to be like the fourth banana anytime they need someone. They're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we need you know. And he's he he kind of has his character just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm I'm kind of getting I'm, I'm getting all sorts of juice, all sorts of play out of being in this position. And it's like he doesn't. I mean, his whole character is he's not self aware. Yes, he just but, yeah, which is kind of great, which is yeah. kind of great. But I I'm think, getting yes at this point while I was watching it, I was getting a little tired of it. 
later mm. on, I was like, oh, no, 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 this, this works. Nicely. Put you back in the episode. How good is that? Man, That's right. It's right. winning for you. So now we go, then we go to the WWE Boot of the Week, brought to you by Lugs, which is a company that sells boots. And uh, the Boot of the Week is a Brock clocking taker with the title belt, which is not a boot. It's a bash the face. Okay, was last week's episode the one where Rikishi got uh, kicked the Chavo's, a camera back into Chavo's face? Uh, week before. Week before, okay. I was like, that's a boot of the week right there. Dang. So yeah, I think if this was WWE bash the face, I think that would be good. But this is supposed to, I think this must be, a, it's supposed to be sponsoring a kick. They got to put this on, like, the Lugs has to sponsor a show where there's a super kick involved or something. This doesn't seem right. Right, right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's misplaced, but it's mis- well, well-intentioned, I see. Yeah. Uh, Matt Hardy versus The Undertaker, false count anywhere. Let's get to it. I love the idea of a false count anywhere match being in the first hour of SmackDown. <laughs> There's so much, so many schedule things on this I watch. I'm just like, this wouldn't, you wouldn't do this now. You, <laughs> you wouldn't put the Undertaker in a gimmick match and be like, ah, you know, 40 minutes in, they can do that. It's fine. So there's, there's a sign shown during the Undertaker's entrance. It just reads, "Fire it up, Undertaker rules." Amazing. Sure, fire it up. Why not? Got it. So there's, uh, there's a ton of booing during Matt Hardy's entrance, and I kind of wonder if it's, it's the booing equivalent of SmackDown pop because they're, they're booing him like he's so hated. Right. It's like I don't think he's actually that. Hey, I mean, he's not. I mean, I think there's probably people in the uh, in the crowd who are feeling like you, Daniel. They're kind of like, I don't know what to do with Matt Hardy guy. I don't want to boo him per se. I don't hate the guy. He's not making me hate him. But well, you know what? At this point, I would be booing him, right? For sure. But I would join the show. I mean, considering they have to they have to give so many people some extra love with uh, the SmackDown pop. I mean, the idea. I I feel like they might do some crowd sweetening for the the heels. The hating too might be easier. Potentially. So but low, it doesn't. Low, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. They might be. They might be. Right. We'll see. Or or Lafayette, Louisiana hates Matt Hardy, which would be fine. So yeah, why not? Yeah. So ten seconds into this match, Michael Cole is already called Taker a striker. Uh, which, considering he doesn't really like, he's not really like a striker in the way like an Ultimate Fighter would be. That I think it's a, so goofy that they keep harping on that. And so they spar on the inside of the ring, and then. Matt's on the apron and Taker drops his big leg on the apron there, which I always thought that looks painful. It's like, like it's like, it I feel looks, like he's weights on you there. All his weight rather. It, look, it looks good. It looks yeah. good. I remember seeing that and being like, Oh, you know, cause like, you know, me watching undertaker, you know, got back in around 2006. So I saw a lot of that style of undertaker, yes. but I saw it on the dead man character. So it was neat to see it on the American badass character and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, that's good that you get to you get to you get to enjoy the American badass character instead of uh, yeah being annoyed by yeah, the, that's right. This is a whole this is a whole fresh taker for me. That's beautiful. I mean, it's it's funny watching this. Show. I thought about this like just today. I was like, it's funny that like I'm covering the show and it's like that's oh, the best. You know, it's a SmackDown six year. All all six guys on SmackDown in that in that group are so good and like we just see Brock and so, such great wrestling. And then I thought like this is maybe one of the worst periods in Undertaker's career. I mean, I think before this, a little bit before this, is worse. But like like after he goes back to Dead Man, he gets, he becomes a better wrestler suddenly somehow. So it's just funny to do this podcast, and it's like for all the great things that are happening at the same time, it's like this is also garbage. <laughs> and not just like not just for like people who don't matter, but for like some of the most important wrestlers of all time, like The Undertaker. Yeah, it is interesting because like when I'm watching this and we get the Brock Undertaker stuff, there's some good stuff happening, but I can't yeah. help but think that this is like um, the worst of the best kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> right, right, right. We're like, it's good, but it's the bottom of good. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, like, even in Unforgiven, I like the match they had there. Um, yeah. So, and, and, I, and I know I'm gonna like the match they have coming up as well. Suppose for that. Um. But yeah, I know, I know what you mean. So, 
So Matt gets tossed into the timekeeper's table, and then he gets thrown across the announce table. And I was looking, the announce table in that little section by the ring, it's not a bunch of plywood. And the plywood is just okay. out. It's not covered with any mats or anything like that. I don't know why. I don't know if there's an issue there. It looked random. It's not what that usually looks like there. So Undertaker gets him out on top of the announce table, and then he signals he's going to choke slam Matt Hardy. And I got to say, that would be a really weird way to break the table because they're both standing on the table. Right. And Undertaker's like, we're standing on the table. I'm going to choke slam him through it. And it's like, okay, well, if you <laughs> succeed in the you table, just fall to the ground. you're going to fall, you're, you're gonna fall uh, in a way that you can't even control. You're going to fall like an idiot. Like you're, you're just like you're yeah, standing so, in a room so floor that doesn't rock work. Bottom, like, yeah. Rock bottom is different for this. A rock bottom is made for this kind of table. You're floor. already going through. You're already, yeah. you're already going with it. So, so it's funny to see. I, maybe that would be one thing I would also add to the uh, here's a wrestling move I don't like. When you do something that when I watch, I'm just like, you can't do that move. You can't right. choke slam him while you're still standing there, or like right. anytime, or anytime somebody's like, "I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna power bomb this guy out of the ring and onto the floor." It's like you can't do that. He would die. <laughs> he would kill that. him. You would kill him. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so instead of getting choke slam, Matt punts Taker in the groin. He goes for a twist of face, fate, which would work on a table. I'll give him that. But he yeah. gets thrown <laughs> off instead. Yeah. And so this is the this is the second thing that Matt Hardy gets off. Yes, it's basically the only he gets two things off and then he does this so that he jumps him backstage. And right. It's all taker. It's, it's all taker, taker aside from that. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, they, so yeah, they, so, so taker throws Matt into the crowd. They're going to fight their way along the lower bowl, kind of that attitude era. Kind of like, ah, we're just going to walk him by punch, punch kind of thing. And so Matt tosses some water into Undertaker's, Undertaker's face uh, to gain the edge for a second. And then he just like heads backstage. Yes. So Taker heads behind him, and there's a classic thing where Matt leaves out from a door to sneak attack Undertaker right when Undertaker kind of gets around the corner, and unfortunately Matt gets tossed in like a dumpster or something like that, like pretty quickly. So didn't work. Yeah, out he never gets the advantage. He, no. he always does these things that never wins. Yeah, and then Matt Hardy does something unusual, which is he runs away and yells, "We'll meet again, Taker." This is amazing. I just want to <laughs> highlight this for a second. I just want to say that this was my favorite, and this is what won me back to Matt Hardy. Good. Was I was like, oh yeah, this is what he's doing. He is just a total coward and a slime ball, but he thinks so highly of himself because it's yes. like, we'll meet again is like this, you know, like I'm out of here, but you're lucky that I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we're equals. It's like, this is like, you know, Dr. Von Doom. to the same fantastic four. He's like, ah, you haven't bested me today, but someday I will. And it's like, <laughs> you're running away from it backstage. It's it made all the more funny because he like, he says that and then he runs this big delivery door for trucks. He can't get out there. Yes. And then he starts to, he scales a chain link fence, which holds some like supplies and stuff like that. And so it's just like, it's like, this guy is not going to survive this. But yeah. then suddenly, as Taker goes after him, Brock Lesnar pops in and he jumps Undertaker from behind. And Taker kind of beats him up quickly, tosses him into a fence. He kind of he deals very well with the fact that Brock Lesnar is uh, beating him up. Well, well, he like throws Brock Lesnar, yeah, into that fence. Like it was really impressive. I was like, whoa, this is like Brock Lesnar is now Funaki from last week. Exactly. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, maybe there was like a Freaky Friday thing, a Freaky Thursday thing when he left. Freaky Thursday. I can't think of a way for that. So. So Matt jumps back in, and that gives Brock a chance to grab Undertaker, and he, he hits him with the F5 on a pile of, well, what would you say that is that he lands on? It looked like birdseed or birds like of, some kind of feed. What I it, might, it, looks like. it, it might have been salt, like road salt, but like it was soft. Like it, yes. it looked, 
It didn't look devastating. It didn't look like it would have merited the pinfall. Which is exactly what happens here, because Matt Hardy sneaks in and grabs one. That's right. Okay, so, okay, <laughs> I thought it was just now. It would make sure. so much more sense if we put him through a table. Because the table wouldn't hurt it. Like, Undertaker could take that. It wouldn't be that bad. And then you got to fly yeah. through a table. Like, oh, my gosh, that's believable. But instead, yeah. he gets dropped on some birdseed or popcorn. <laughs> and uh, Matt Hardy takes the advantage. And I would say, I would argue, for a false count anywhere match where there's no disqualifications, I think Matt Hardy kind of won clean. Right? This is, everything fit within the rules of the match. Didn't cheat once. Somebody else yeah. came in. but that's Yeah, all. as far as it goes, so, so this is great when Paul Heyman starts yelling at Matt Hardy, you beat Undertaker! You beat Undertaker! Just really pumping him up. Like, oh, really man. just greasing those wheels. But, as you're saying, for what the match was, yeah. He did. He, did. he followed the rules. If you, if you were in a false kind of, if you were in any no disqualification match, you should spend an hour before your match going backstage and handing out $50 bills to guys and saying, you need to come out and jump this guy during the match. Or you need to like hold him down by all his legs and stuff like that. I'm going to cover him and win. That's right. It'd be just war. Anyway. But now, so, now again, Matt Hardy, though, uh, will soon propose a counterpoint to the grace you're trying to give him. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> because he's an idiot. Oh, he's a great idiot. So afterwards, this is maybe the most important part of this. This whole match is kind of a be- uh, leading up to this point, which is that uh, Taker. Oh, can I say? Can I say one yeah, thing? Here? Please, please, yeah, go for it. Oh, sorry, you're not. You're about to say this. I want to say what happens. Yes. Yeah. Which is T- Taker's climbing to his feet, and he grabs the fence, and then Brock Lesnar grabs this big. What they call it a propane tank, kind of like an air tank or something like that. He grabs a big, long propane tank, and he smashes Taker's hand against the fence. And Undertaker yeah. screams in pain. He's like, yeah, yes. shrill. Like it gets like high pitched at one point. I was like, it sounds Ooh. wounded. Yeah, it sounds intense. And this is going to be a weird thing, but I need to share it with you. Please. Both times during when it happened and during the replay, when the propane tank hits the ground, to me, it sounded like a version of the Harry Potter theme music. Did it land? That's what it sounded like. <laughs> Go back and listen to that, folks. I'll have to do that. I'm so curious about what you mean. It that's just great. sounded. It sounded melodic, and I was like, "But that sounds not just not that. It just sounds melodic. That sounds familiar." And I was like, "Oh, like that. That, that sounds eerily like the Harry Potter theme." Yeah, I think I think I think we're we're coming up on uh, when uh, Chamber of Secrets would have come out, fall 2002, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I believe Philosopher's Stone came out fall 2001. I can do this yeah. all correct. Okay, we'll, we'll hit on other things like that to the show. <laughs> so uh, we come back from a commercial and we see an ad for Survivor Series 2002. It's going to be live from Madison Square Garden, which we'll talk about. Um, just, a, just a quick uh, – I actually watched that pay-per-view this weekend. Okay. So I will I will have seen it a couple times by the time we cover it on the podcast. So very interesting. A lot of very things to talk about there, especially on the smack side and the Ross side, a little bit of both. And so uh, we come, we're back for the break now. And so we uh, we see a slow mo video of Brock's attack on Undertaker, and we see we see a live shot of Undertaker, and he's with a trainer and referee Brian Hebner, and he yells, "Get away from me, man!" to the trainer, which is maybe not the smartest thing to say to a trainer who is there to help you after you've injured yourself. So, but he's tough, Mark, Matt. Yes, he's tough. Yes, I mean now here's the thing: in 2020, we know if you want to be a tough man, you ask for help. That's how this works now, folks. Not no more toxic stuff. masculinity. Absolutely. We were seeing toxic masculinity all over the show. Not anymore. You say, you look at yourself and you go, you know what, Doc? I think my hand's broken. And you say, I'm not going <laughs> to. So glad we mentioned toxic masculinity. This is great. Um, 
Mark Lloyd, who does not suffer from toxic masculinity, does not have enough of it uh, for it to be a problem. Um, so he's there. He's a little journalist, which I appreciate. And so he asks, so Tiger leaves and he asks the trainer who's named Larry, which I like. He says, Larry, you know, what do you see in there? And he goes, well, you know, I think Undertaker's hand's broken. I'm going to try to convince him to get some x-rays. And I got to ask, what motivation would Taker have to not get an x-ray? <laughs> cool, but he, he, he's, big, he's big evil, man. He doesn't have yeah. time for that stuff. I'm cool. What I really I don't, loved about this, I so I thought about, right, I thought about Larry, and I thought, Larry. like, all day, he was gearing up for, like, he has his line. And yep. he's, like, in the mirror, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to take the undertaker to the hospital. I'm going to try and get, convince him to get x-rays. Okay, I'm going to take him to the hospital. I'm going to track him, and I need to run. I'm going to run really fast <laughs> after him. I'm going to, because he's gone. And I have to get him. If I want to do what I want to do, I got to catch him. So I got to run really fast. And I'm big. It might be hard, but I can do it. <laughs> right. And, and I love, like, wouldn't stop for questions either. Like a real trainer would like, he would be walking with Undertaker. Like, I mean, if you watch football, like I guess the trainer is at your side the whole time, no matter what. Yes. Yes. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe Larry is uh, maybe a little bit further away from getting a job with an NFL team than I thought he was. <laughs> So then we move on. We were on to Jamie Noble, accompanied by Nydia. So when this crap. is happening, in yes. my heart of hearts, yay, was the song that was singing in my heart. So I am now just fully invested in the Jamie Noble and Nydia. I love yes. seeing Nydia. I love, I love what happens with these guys all the time. And I'm just like, this is good. This is like soul food for yes. me right now when I'm watching SmackDown. So give me more of this. Give me more of this. So, yeah. Well, so if- <laughs> We didn't go that far, but I like the amount yeah. I get. Okay, that's good. That's good. I like that. Okay, so um, yeah, I think I believe they call him Crash the whole time. It's not Crash Holly for some reason. He's just right. an action Crash. And we see a graphic before the match of the uh, of the cruiserweight title, and it's actually a super weird graphic. I don't know if you noticed this, Daniel. I did not. So the graphic is the WCW version of the cruiserweight title, which is similar to the one they use here, but it's also super different. So, for instance, um, the side plates on the Cruiserweight title, or the, the show here, uh, which they they edited slightly, on the WCW title, it says WCW on it. And so all they did was just get rid of that text on there. But those are the same side plates as the WCW championship because the one Jamie Noble has has very normal kind of squared off ones instead. Okay. And then they also inserted a WWE logo on the top of the belt, which is funny because they, they, there was a WCW there, which they got rid of. But they have their own belts, which I would imagine they could take a picture of or a graphic of. Um, and I know, like, that stays like this for months. Like, they don't fix this. And it's that so is weird. really interesting. So, yeah, if you watch the show, go back and see, like, how, the graphic they have the Cruiserweight title and the one Jamie Noble has looks completely different. There's, It's similar. I think earlier in the earlier one of the earlier shows, I, I argued with my brother Will about how it's the same thing. It's the same shape of the, the main plate, but they actually changed it a lot more than I realized. So anyway. There there has to be an interesting story behind that. I would think so. Just like the graphic design guy or like whoever does those was just like in some sort of bind. He was rushed right. and then he just forgot about it. I mean, it would, I mean, it wouldn't be an incredibly high priority. I mean, I would think that, you know, wrestling company want to get their belts right, but apparently not. Right. Funny to see it, sir. So then we have our sponsors for tonight, which I love highlighting. So our first sponsor is Red Dragon, which is the Hannibal movie. You know, kind of the sequel to Sons of the Lambs and Hannibal. Or I think it might be a prequel. I don't know. And then we also have the uh, the Tower of Power from JVC, that great boombox that we've seen advertised a few times. And then we have Subway. Eat fresh. 
So it's good. I'm glad that they're uh, they're still on there. That's a that's a day you could have, right? Go, you wake up, you put your tunes on your boombox, you get Subway for lunch, you go see Red Dragon in the afternoon. <laughs> could be pretty good. I don't think that movie was ever well received, but that that sounds like 2002 to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it seems like uh, a crash here has parlayed his success on Velocity into a title shot. You know, and that was he was kind of around there for a while, and he even has Velocity green tights on. So I think he maybe he's embracing the uh, the the sea show that has brought him to this place in his career. That's right, giving it homage, saying, "Yeah, I know you." So early on, Noble has the edge, and especially when Nidia grabs Crash's leg in the corner, and then uh, Taz suggests that uh, Noble and Nidia probably love it here in uh, in uh, Louisiana because uh, Taz saw a lot of mobile homes as he drove in. So he's thinking, you know, this is this is their people. This is their country, right? That's right. It makes sense to me. Oh, yeah. So I agree with Taz. Noble sets up his camel clutch, which I think would be a good leg workout because you really just crouch down there for a while. You're holding on to the guy. Oh, yeah. So Crash, uh, he ends up sending Noble into a turnbuckle to get out of the camel clutch. And um, and then Crash goes, he, he takes advantage. He gets this kind of this pop-up face plant thing. And then he goes for the uh, the crash landing, which is a Styles class, which he's been using. Yes. But then uh, Nitty gets up on the apron and Crash sends Noble into Nidia, and they have this, this series of roll-ups that only get two and back this up. This was great. This yeah, was great. This was interesting. Yeah. So uh, Crash goes for the crash landing again, but then Noble grabs his leg, and he gets the roll-up, and he grabs the ropes, and he gets the one, two, three. So Crash he gets outsmarted. And there beat. we have it. It yeah. happened quick because we had, we had this series of – Roll-ups and counters. Mm-hmm. That was really impressive and really nice to see a, a similar kind of thing that got like legitimate like golf claps at Unforgiven with Angle and nice. Memoir. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it it was impressive, and then all of a sudden it's over. I was like, right. whoa! So I kind of missed it. But it was very it was a very nice moment when I went there. It worked. Um, Michael Cole says after the match, Noble stole one. Which is uh, one of his favorite lines. Michael Cole loves talking about how wrestlers are stealing wins all the time. Even even when uh, when a wrestler like it's a tag match and the other guy the other guy in your tag team gets a finisher and then you t- you fin- pin the guy, Michael Cole acts like it's a big like it's a big offense. He's very unimpressed with that. <laughs> so what I really love here, like this is mm-hmm. where Noble and Nidia just really seal my heart some more, is just Jamie Noble is so much more in love with this cruiserweight title than he is about his woman, who he just threw off the ring apron into a barricade right. and he's like oh you're okay like pats her on the head and then like stares and kisses his belt um, i was really impressed by that he, kind he, of he's minor his, psychology yeah he's working on some obliviousness too a little bit because like there's times where he he's sometimes he's very motivated by he feels that he and nidia don't get enough respect and then other times where he's just kind of like he's like oh my belt's more important i guess he just knows yeah. where his bread is buttered right he's like i love nidia but you know i'm a champion i need to have this Good heel move. It reminds me of you know back a few months ago, which we quite a few months ago from the time this comes out, when uh, Johnny Gargano was in a uh, mixed tag match with uh, Candice LeRae, and she gets like destroyed. I think I don't know if Keith Lee landed on her or something like that. But uh, he he took advantage of uh, her being hurt and uh, Keith Lee being uh, kind of concerned about her to get the win. And then after the match, he's dragging his his wife's lifeless body around like weekend and Bernie style. And it's like legitimately one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a wrestling thing where he's like, he loves it and he's making her wave and she is like knocked out. She's not actually knocked out. Wrestling's not real, folks, just to be clear. Um, but she, uh, anyway, it's a very, very funny moment with a kind of a very similar kind of vibe. I need to go back and check that out. That sounds great. It was genuinely very good. Very, very good. 
And then so we're we're in the interview area backstage with Mark Lloyd and Kurt Angle. The interview area is kind of like it's, it says SmackDown. There's some right lighting there. You know, it's clearly it's supposed to be used for this purpose. So Mark Lloyd's there with Kurt Angle, and he asks Kurt if he regrets his comments about Rey Mysterio last week. Did, did he say anything worth apologizing about last week, Daniel? Last week, well, last week was just all about that he doesn't deserve to be on the same level as Kurt Angle and Benoit just because yeah. this is his hometown. Yeah, oh, doesn't mean he should get a shot. And didn't call him a slur or anything like that. I don't know. Just well, no, like they no, did. Mark, I think, Mark I think he like, did. He did another short joke. I think. Oh yeah, exactly. We called. You have to apologize for that. I mean, you know what? And the fact of the matter is, Angle says as much. So Ray says he says, you know, Ray beat Benoit last week, not me. You know, like I'm not. Why would I apologize? I'm not a normal guy. He says I'm as close to pure perfection as you can get. I'm a freaking work of art. He says, which is one of my favorite lines I've heard on the show so far. <laughs> this and was then, great. I was really oh, excited yeah. about this promo. And then uh, Kurt notices in the background, Edge is waiting in the wings. Well, can I just, can I just say he goes yeah. on this litany of things that he's like? You yes. Know? A uh, symphony and a remoir painting. A remoir? <laughs> a remoir <laughs> painting, which I was very excited uh, to hear because I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, I think a renoir would be a painting, but I like the idea of him getting or, it wrong. Or, or a Rembrandt. Oh, even better. Yeah, he's doing... <laughs> <laughs> Anytime a wrestler, uh, his character is, I'm a little bit stupid, is always funny. <laughs> right. Or athletes. They can be meatheads. It's funny. I don't know. So... Kurt, yeah, so Edge is kind of skulking the corner, and so he's like, get over here and talk to me. And Edge says, you know, I don't, Kurt, I don't think you suck, but you're also not perfect. Uh, and, he, and Edge notes that Angle's bald head, uh, which is, uh, of course, Edge is doing. Right. And uh, Kurt says... I thought that was a nice work. I like that, too. It's like, yeah, this is a good thing. Like, he has a very obvious one-up on you, which is what you look like now. So Kurt wants some payback. And that was funny, because they're like almost oddly cordial, and they have a whole thing of like, you go first. No, you go first. And then Kurt Angle just punches Edge in the face. Oh, yeah. There, there is so much punching in this episode. It is great. And oh, this yeah. started off, and I was so pumped. I was so pumped about this. Yeah. Well, how exactly? Because now I'm, now I'm like, yeah, again, I think they're doing a really good job of getting me invested in what's happening next. Like, if I was watching TV and there was a commercial mm-hmm. coming up, I'm no longer changing the channel. You got to see what's going to happen here next. I get that. That's some, sol- that's some real solid television work right there. Next yeah. level. So Kurt Angle versus Edge coming up here. This is my highlight. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, I'm not unsurprised. Unsurprisingly, we both lose yeah. a lot. This is this so, is amazing. Yeah, uh, Michael Cole starts pumping up uh, the Edge and Eddie match. Yes, for and he says this is the best match I've ever seen on SmackDown. Right, and the the Eddie Edge match, and I'm going. Okay, it was cool. It was really good, um, but like, well, that that's some like that's something to say, Michael Cole. And so, just for the fun of it, I googled best SmackDown matches of all time. Right. And Twenty years back. And in 2018, WWE put out a list of oh, the top good. 25 SmackDown matches, and number one is Edge versus Eddie Guerrero Street Fighter. Oh, hilarious. Okay, so there we go. So, so I was like, okay, Michael Cole, you got it, Great. man. You, you're not just speaking out your ass. I, yeah. I am sorry. I repent. I recant. That's funny. There it's all go. downhill from here, folks. I mean, we're, we still have the best match. Now, we're not going to see the best match we cover because thankfully there's pay-per-view matches and everything like that. But That's correct. 
It's true. Michael Cole does that. Um, before that angle comes out, there's no pyro for him. And then uh, when Edge comes out, there's a sign in the crowd that says, I'm a Edgehead. <laughs> they really want to pump that Edgehead stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. But they're a Edgehead. They're not an Edgehead. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, so Michael Cole talks about this match being the greatest match in SmackDown history, which apparently we find out it's, it is. Uh, you know, it kind of seems like Michael Cole is making excuses for Edge. Because he's like, Edge is coming out and he's like, well, you know, he wrestled in an ODQ match next week. He won't be at his top. I'm like, oh, man, he's just carrying. He's, he's, he's saying this guy's got excuses. Unimpressed. Right. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught that. I did catch that. Yeah. And then Michael Cole goes on to talk about ratings here. He's, he talks about, he, he even says, you know, we beat Fox, WB, and ABC last week. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I, I knew last week on the show they ended up beating Raw. Um but apparently, you know, judging by the people he named there, they must have gotten below NBC and CBS, which is just it's just funny to hear now. It is also funny just because SmackDown is on Fox. So as much as they brag about that, they are That's now right. on Fox. So they start with a little bit of chain wrestling here, do uh, Edge and Kurt Angle, and Edge hits an arm drag, it's just kind of kneeling arm bar onto Angle. And then off the ropes, Angle hits a shoulder block, Edge leapfrogs, there's this arm drag, drop kick, arm drag for Angle. Then Edge has uh, Angle in a key lock. And Angle uh, knocks Edge over to get this kind of a pinning attempt for two, which I like there because he's like he's tied up. But then Angle's like, well, maybe I can just pin you a little bit and get out of this. Good try. I like that. Uh, Michael Cole takes the time to tell us that Undertaker's been taken to hospital. So I guess Larry, the trainer, was able to convince him. Good (laughs) Good for for you, Larry. Yeah. You went running after him everything. That's good for you. So uh, Kurt Angle gets out of a hold uh, by grabbing Edge's hair and he, he drives him into the ropes. And it seems like the crowd is very against Kurt Angle. They do not like him. Well, they're so for Edge. Like, they they're are for so for Edge. And I wonder what they would have done with Edge if he didn't get injured. Like, would he have won the title later on in 2003? Oh, man. I, I wonder. I wonder. Because, like, he's putting out some matches here that, like, I, I just wasn't aware of. Like, oh, this yeah. is some solid work that he did before he ever made it, quote unquote. You know? Yeah. And he, and he is, he's one of the most protected guys. Like, he almost never loses, too. Right. Like, I just constantly winning on the show. Like he goes over Eddie a couple times. Like man, oh man. Yeah, I think they really had their eyes set on him for something special. Yeah, and they ended up being pretty pretty much right once they got everything figured out. Right once they get all the yeah, oh yeah, the eyes. Once they cross their R's and dot the stars. So pretty. I don't know when this happens, but it's mm-hmm. fairly early on here. Yeah, yeah. there's kind of like a back and forth punch rally between Angle and Edge. Yes, but there's no boo. Yeah chance right and i thought that was fascinating oh yeah because i have not seen that spot without boo and yeah chance ever right was it evolved like that right i mean there were we're still at a a pre-boo yeah thing i think that's an indie thing do you know what i mean like i think that is like a more of an a ring of honor kind of and i could be completely wrong about that but that's how i would that's how i look at that i go like okay that was like a that was the cultural thing, and that has seeped into wrestling in a major way in 2020. Yeah, they also well, even, fight forever, which is funny. That's right. That's right. Well, even, even in fire. 2006, mm-hmm. Boo Yao was a thing. Okay. When I got back into wrestling, Boo Yao maybe, was maybe it'll show up on this podcast. Maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll see the evolution of it. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, because evolution is a mystery. It's full of changes no one sees. <laughs> Uh, different Thank show. That. Sorry, that's my 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 raw rundown podcast, uh, which I'll never do. <laughs> that's would be a very horrible experience. So so yes. So there's a spinning wheel kick um, that gets two for Edge, and then Edge hangs Angle's arm over the ropes, and uh, he sends uh, Angle shoulder first into the post, and then Edge grabs Angle in this armbar style move again, but Angle positions himself 
did an angle slam on Edge over the top rope into the floor, which I liked. Just, gotta, just essentially, it's a perfect move to dump somebody out. He just grab him under his legs and go, ugh, heave ho. Yeah. And then outside angle drops Edge on a barricade. And so that gives the angle the advantage and they get back in the ring. You know, Edge, Edge fights back, but angle hits his first belly to belly for two, which is funny because, uh, you know, shortly after that, or shortly before that, uh, Taz suggested that angle might want to change the Max's, match's complexion by getting some suplexes in. And angle's like, sure, boom. I heard <laughs> suplex. Like, oh, good. He looks smart. So then uh, Angle gets a chin lock on the mat and he starts working Edge's ribs. And he gets an abdominal stretch going and Edge turns into this pinning combination for two. And uh, the guys are kind of clearly tired here, but uh, Edge manages to get an Angle esque belly to belly suplex in. Oh, that was awesome. There's was no so cover, excited. though. The referee counts to, uh, gets to 10 and they get very close. I love, I love the referee counts to 10 and both guys are fully on their back, not standing up at eight. Yes. They're like, and they have to come up with a way. How do I groggily get to my feet in the next second and a half? <laughs> they definitely, like, there definitely should have been the tag count, but Mike yeah. Yoda was just feeling nice. He was just feeling nice. Never, that is a finish you never see in wrestling. The mutual 10 count <laughs> is both out. Mike Yoda calls it and he rolls him out. I mean, they're just, they should do this like once every now and then just to have that happen. That yeah, be, like, just so that we know that's yeah, possible. Lower card match, right? Some, some, just some random guy. Kishi versus uh, Shelton Benjamin. On a dark match. Some lose like that. That'd be great. But I guess they would be they would be a draw. So um so yeah, so Edge hits a back body drop. I think it's his, his face plant for two. And then Edge lines up a spear, but Angle grabs him for ability to ability and he tosses him directly into a referee. Who goes oh down. yes. Which that was good. It's always interesting watching these ref bumps and be kind of like, is that ref a smart guy or is he dumb and he was in a stupid position for his job? It w- it was it was this one was done so well because yeah. it was like cool because like the spear is coming and that's exciting in and of itself and then into the belly to belly and that's awesome and then my Kyoto is just in the way and I was like loving it I was eating it up and just so excited for how this was going to get paid off like you mentioned earlier hip, hands on your hips head tilted to the side are you going to earn this match come on you better prove yourself to me what's going to happen. And I think, I think, keep going, my friend, because I think that we get some great stuff out of this. Well, there's definitely some consequences that I didn't expect to it. I'll say that, too. Uh, so after this, uh, that whole uh, moment there, uh, Michael Cole claims that a spear would have given Edge the win, which is very, like, he speaks about it so, like, convincingly. He's just like, well, if he, spe- he speared me, we would have beat him. It's like, I guess. I mean, we don't know. but Now, is this his finishing we'll move him. yet? Like, is this? See, I think because last time you're on, you were like, oh, it doesn't really count. But it's like, it is one of his finishers. He has dozens of finishers. Yeah. But, but like, I, of, I'm at this point where it's getting, like, it seems to be getting refined. Like, he's doing, he's warming up in the corner, telling people to, like, stand up, get up. The, I'm I think the DDT, his education DDT is still more so that. Yeah. And so we're going to see, you're going to see a kind of, kind of flip over where it's kind of like, okay, the spear is clearly the one that gets the most juice. Because it's, I mean, even now when he wrestles in theory. Um, yes. It would, Finish as Spears finisher. It's what they cut away from at the Royal Rumble in 2020 when he redebuted. He came to the ring and went for Spear and didn't get it, or didn't get shown on camera at least, which is hilarious. Okay, first Spear in like 10 years. So Angle goes for an Angle Slam, but he gets countered into his Education TDT for uh, you know what I'd call the visual pinfall, right, where the the fans all count it. Um, But the ref is down, so it doesn't count. That's right. So so, uh, Angle kicks Edge in the crotch and he hits an Angle Slam. And then a referee, a new referee runs down. He counts two. And then um, Angle drops the straps and he locks on an ankle lock. And Edge is immediately in the ropes. 
And then so Edge goes outside onto the apron. And he drops uh, Angle fro- throat first on the ropes, and he climbs up top. And then Angle does his pop up suplex, but Edge pushes Angle off. And then Angle comes back, and he goes for a superplex. And so they get the superplex, and he falls with his cradle for the pin. But then we have this very specific moment where we see where we see that Mike Kyoto, the first ref, is awake. And he sees Edge kind of get the, the pinning combination done. And so he thinks that Edge won. He doesn't do the count. The other referee counts it. But the refs uh, have this argument where they go, okay, well, like, well, you know, Mike, I think Mike Sparks, the other guy, he, uh, you know, he's like, well, I think Kurt Angle won. I was right there. I counted. And he's like, no, no, Edge is Edge won. I was watching it. I saw it happen. And this and was so, brilliant for me. So I was so into this. The referees argue. And then Mike Sparks hits a pu- it pushes Mike Yoda. And then Mike Yoda hits him and yells at him. Punches so him bad. straight in the face. Punches him straight in the face. Why does he do this? <laughs> I, I was just like, whoa. And like, my love for Mike Yoda is strong. Is yeah. strong, is strong, is strong. And I didn't think I could love him anymore. And I do now. Oh my goodness, do I ever. This really was brilliant. What is this? I have no idea because then other referees come into the ring, and I love uh, Marty Canellis or whatever. Jimmy Corneris. Jimmy Corneris. Yeah. <laughs> Again, mixes up people, but he he's like, you punched him. You you punched him, man. Like he's like <laughs> trying to be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is great. This is excellent. Well, he, well, and the, the reaction is he does a whole kind of like, well, he he did push me. Like he does kind of adjust. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, this is, you know, technically supposed to be considered a combat sport, but the idea that a referee would punch another guy is just like... Yeah, because I love, I love this breakdown more than a lot of wrestling breakdowns I've seen because it is not focused on the wrestlers at this point. Right. The referees are just losing it. Totally but, like, what it does do that I love is that mm-hmm. it really raises the stakes for how important pinfalls are. Like, how it matters. Right. Like, it matters. I'm not going to let you say that something happened when I don't think it happened. And I just really appreciate that. Like this match, it's non-title, but it matters whether Edge or Kurt Angle wins. Right. They know people the are convicted about that. Yeah. Oh, they're very convicted. And so we go to a commercial break. And I was surprised to see what happens after commercial break, which was that the match has been restarted. And Mike and Yoda, Mike Yoda is, he's in charge. He's still referenced. I'm yeah. like, wouldn't, wouldn't you take him out? Like, he just punched a colleague. Like, doesn't out, he doesn't get matter, reprimanded? Apparently. Like, oh my goodness. I wish that we saw later on in the show, we saw Stephanie like filling out a form being like, I don't want to fire Mike Yoda, but I have to find him. This is great. I have like a bunch of paperwork to do. <laughs> right. Well, taking, like even, an HR statement from the other guy. Even worse, who's the ref for the main event? Mike right. Yoda, man. Yeah. Completely he's, unpunished. Well, this is this is where now we got to look at the, the the internal politics. I believe he's head referee, and so you know, I think maybe there's supposed to be a level of uh, of care being paid to. Uh, maybe we shouldn't have the head referee be making decisions about, I assume, match placement and uh, punishment because he is completely unscathed by this. Like, can you imagine if you just hit a coworker and then people are like, "Ah, oh, just keep doing your job. It's like no big deal. We like think oh, you're yeah. doing good." This is crazy. It's awesome though. So. This is a lot of business for a kind of a middle of SmackDown match, no title on the line, but it does speak to the, t- the height of the show, which I think you, you, you hit on pretty well. Yeah. Um, also, during the commercial, we saw the angle hit a belly to belly on Edge on the floor, which is kind of intense. Not a, it looked, it looked, boom, there was a wallop. You know, yeah. it was really solid. Very nice. So, uh, Angle ties Edge up in the ropes. He's got it kind of like the, the ropes kind of, uh, you know, wrapped around his arms. And This was neat. Yeah. So, Angle hits, uh, he hits a spear. 
And then he hits another one, and he's kind of whooping it up with the crowd after each one. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm great. And so he goes for three, and you won't believe it, but uh, Edge moves out of the way, and he flies out of the ring. Oh, my goodness. So he climbs back on the apron, and then Edge hits a spear and angle from there. And then Edge goes up top, hits this kind of flying body block. Okay, uh, I just need to talk about this for a second, man. Yeah. I hate this. What do you hate? Edge's cross body He's, or Edge's it, drop? His just, drop? Yeah. I mean, flying body block is the most flattering way I can describe it because he does this a few times, and I don't know what else to call it. So him and Christian have the same technique for this. Yes. They both do it the same way, and I hate it with all of the fire in my being. Yeah. What is it about because, it? Because it's not a technique. Like, it's not a thing. Like, right. He's just jumping into the air and landing on his feet. So, like, there's no, like, it takes the risk out of it. I right. know you're going to land nice and neat. I know you're doing it this way to protect yourself. So, my, my ability to kind of put reality on hold and say that you're doing something cool goes away from me because I'm just right. like, you are doing this the safest and like lamest way you could possibly do this. And then he the way that, that his good. body is landing, it like he's landing almost parallel to the person. Right. So he has to like stick out his arm to almost like clothesline to make it look like there's some impact. Right. And so for what he could be doing, it's just not. Yeah. And I mean, then Michael Cole says, Yeah. And of course they love him because he's paying off the fans with moves like this. I'm like, blame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, sure. thank you. But everything else Edge does looks really good. But yeah. this is just this like weird blight for me on his moveset. Yeah. I, I, you know, I could see that you would, you, you, you have it down on paper. And next to this move, you've circled with red ink and you've said, correct? Question mark. See me uh, after class. Kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 100%. I think it's fair. I mean, I mean, it's really, it seems like it'd be fixable. And the other thing, too, he kind of hits Angle pretty hard in the hedge on the way down. His hedge. Head on the way down. He, like, it looks like he's yeah. like, oh, I actually kind of hurt him there with his flying, flailing, whatever. So then back in, Edge hits a missile drop kick for two. Which looks great. Looks I was good. Like, okay, there it is. Now, you don't do that on the outside or else you die because you just land <laughs> flat on your stomach outside. That's a lot of... But that's back a lot. in the ring. Yeah, you can do that in, in the ring. So... The execution gets reversed, and the edge hits the edge-o-matic for two. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, do I have to explain what all of Edge's finishers are every time we do this podcast? Because totally, they all sound the exact same. Execution is the uh, kind of the uh, the uh, elevated DDT. Edge-o-matic is the reverse X-factor thing, where you land on the back of your head and he grabs you by the legs kind of thing. So anyway, I feel like I have to explain that every time, because Edge's moves have no rhyme or reason for being named the way they are. Just edge something. So Angle hits a single German suplex to kind of settle things down, and then they lay on the mat for a little bit, and then Angle hits three Germans on edge. And now Chris Benoit wanders out, distracting Kurt Angle. And uh, Angle goes back to the Germans, and he hits one before Edge rolls him up for two. Then Angle charges, and Edge goes for roll-up, and then boom, there's an ankle lock. And Edge counters, and he sends Angle flying out of the ring. And then Angle goes for a chair, but then Benoit grabs the chair. And there's a great moment where... Angle's so Benoit's outside the ring on the apron and Angle's in the ring. And so Angle goes to hit Benoit with the chair, but Benoit gets out of the way and the chair bounces off the ropes into his own head. Amazing. I uh, love kind of, this. This total kind of self prank, kind of like you fool kind of move. And then Edge is like this weird slapstick routine. Yeah. It looks good though, too, because you're kind of like, it does look good. Yeah. He just like cracks himself in the head with it and it's like, ah, you idiot. It's funny. 
So, yeah, so Edge hits the spear and he gets the win. So Edge wins this match uh, after uh, I think Kurt Angle probably deserved to win it earlier in the match uh, with that little uh, post-superplex roll-up. But that's fine. Because uh, we see Benoit, who laughs at Angle's misfortune on the ramp. And, yeah, I mean, we see the replay. Angle really hit his uh, hit that chair bounce perfectly, which I love. Well, for me, like in my notes, when Chris Benoit comes out, I'm like, Chris Benoit comes out now? Right. Mark, Chris Benoit? Like, like a lot of stuff happened. And you would think that if you were invested in making Kurt Angle's life harder, he would have just come out and hung around during the first half. Right. But, well, you, you on some level too, you'd think that like Benoit was watching the match, and then he would see that kind of contested finish in the middle, and he'd be like, oh, "All right, Angle won, whatever," and then just like leave. But no, he's like, "I'm gonna come out much later. I have faith this match will kill, still be going then." <laughs> sure. Um, this is we we get a, a quick Rey Mysterio video, which is just this intro video with a text that reads tonight on it, which is funny. It's just like every now and then he's here. Not, they need a minute to fill, and they're just kind of like, "Can we just use that intro video again and just write it next or tonight or something like that?" You're like, yeah, sure. The, so then we see we're backstage and Angle is there and he's yelling for Benoit and he goes through various locker rooms before he finds uh, the main one. And so he runs in to grab Benoit, but then he gets restrained by uh, Angle, uh, sorry, not Angle, by, by Albert and John Cena, who's in jeans. And there's a few other guys who are also there. And we see kind of on Benoit's side, we see that Chavo Guerrero is in there. He's wearing shorts and flip flops and Eddie's in a towel. And I really enjoy They've really, they were re- relaxing after their match. Like we've wrestled. Let's get our flip flops on. Let's get this take a shower. Let's just hang out. So yeah, there's this whole kerfuffle in the in the locker room here. And so Stephanie runs in to screech at Angle and Benoit. She says, You better get along because you're gonna be the tag tournal the tag tournament together next week. And if they fight, they're gonna get suspended without pay. Which is kind of like it's funny that she went to that issue right away, where it's like they've barely like they've had matches together and like this is not something that you want to have happen in the re- locker room, but like it hasn't really been sufficient chaos to merit that exact punishment. She brings a level of intensity into the situation that was not represented by any other member in that locker room. Right. <laughs> she did not match but intensity. She did not e- de-escalate even, even Angle, who is the most mad in this situation, Stephanie just, like, blows up bigger than him. Like, she's, right. like, more pissed than he is. And it's like, wait, wait a second. One of the one of the wrestlers there should have been like, "Hey Stephanie, are you are you good? Like, what's up? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. everything everything good at home? Like, what's what's the matter? Like, what's happening?" So, after being told that if they uh, if they fight before their their match, they get suspended without pay. Angle says that's fine, and then he hits Benoit exactly like he hit Edge. So he just yes. sucker punched them too. I don't so know why he so third third punch of the night. Just make third it punch real. of the night. Hatcher. The JVC punch of the night. The third punch of the night. <laughs> One of the sponsors, Daniel's punch of the night. So then we see Brock Lesnar, who's flexing in his locker room, and Paul Heyman is there, and he's wearing the belt. And then Brock kind of like notices he's wearing it, and he just like takes it from him, which I yeah. like. like yes, yeah, that belongs on you. Yeah, should be planting the seeds for what happens later on with a little bit of division between these two. So this is where Matt Hardy comes in, and Heyman's pumping up Brock Lesnar, and then Matt starts bragging, you know, hey, I beat Undertaker clean once again. You know, he got a crown up victory against Undertaker a few weeks ago before the pay per view, and so Matt says, you know. He figures that because he beat Undertaker, it makes him the number one contender, especially if Undertaker's hand is broken and he's out of no mercy, right? That's the whole consideration. So Matt leaves, and Paul Heyman sarcastically jokes that Matt would kill you to Brock, which I thought was they, they laugh about that. That's right. Showing, I hope Matt doesn't go back and watch this. He's very, very demeaned in that moment. Yeah, the, 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 this was a really great thing where it was just like Matt put the pieces together that he's 
He's up for a title shot. He deserves a title shot. Kind of is. I mean, wouldn't blame him for that. I would be. I was I would, like, oh, okay, well, that's funny. That's cute. Yeah, I'd be like, don't be, don't be mad if the company decides that maybe you should have a title shot on uh, a, a TV show instead of a pay per view match. Just throwing that out there, in case they might think you're not enough of a draw. Um, but speaking of a draw, something that was going to draw people to Las Vegas is Raw Roulette this coming Monday. We have an ad for that. And if you've never seen Raw Roulette, it's actually a pretty good show. It's a very different style Raw because they're doing all these different things. And there's a TLC four, a TLC match in there. TLC four takes place okay. in Raw Roulette. So if you haven't seen that, maybe Daniel and I watch that together sometime, maybe because it's a very good match. Yeah, in a, please. In, in a morass of Raw being not good, there's a very good match in there. And, and as long as I get some HLA too. That's all well, that is, that is threatened, of course. Hot <laughs> action is always threatened there. So, uh, so okay, then we get to my low light of the show. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, good. So it's Billy and Chuck versus Reverend Devon and Farouk. And so yeah. we start, but we notice that uh, no Happy longer... to see Ron Simmons, though. Happy yes. to see Ron Simmons. Oh, sure. Um, so Billy and Chuck no longer have their red tights, like I said. And Chuck doesn't have his hair dyed. They're just not gay anymore, folks. That's the thing they really want you to know. So here's the thing. The screen, when they come out, when Reverend Devon comes out with Farouk, the screen still says Batista. And yes. the, the announcer's like surprised by that. And then so before the match starts, Billy asks Farouk, who he calls Ron Simmons. Yes. He says, are you with Devon now? And then so Simmons smacks Billy. Another punch. Is that what you're getting at too? There's another hit there. There's another hit. There's more. Sure. There's more. But okay, so here, right so before the match, you have Billy yeah. and Chuck in this little vignette, like backstage, like walking through, and they look so cool. <laughs> okay. Like, like I'm just sure. Like, these guys look tough. They look muscular. They look like real wrestlers. You know, and I just imagine Chuck now watching this clip over and over on repeat. Realizing that this is the coolest he's ever looked and will ever look. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> well, I think he, I think like I think Chuck looks cool here. Like I think he's like he the last few weeks are just like I'm like hey, oh maybe, yeah, maybe Chuck's got something, you know? Oh yeah, no no no, and that's what I'm saying is that like there's something really going on here, and then you get to the start of this match where Ron Simmons just clocks them. Yeah, and they just come across as kind of buffoons who can't kind of they can't go toe to toe. Yeah, they just kind of get bowled over. So yeah, that's that's a very I mean that's a kind of big storyline to this match. Um, you know, and, and Ron Simmons he he's wearing his acolytes tights, which is interesting. And then yes. I don't know if you noticed this, Daniel, but uh, Devon is tangling with Chuck, and then we see underneath on the screen is a Chiron saying that where the next WWE live events are, and when tickets are going on sale there. Okay. It says tickets are close look. Tickets are on sale this Saturday for a WWE live event in Halifax, Canada. Oh, amazing! Which is I where wish I still did. Where I am, and I don't recall if I went, but I think I did. I'm not totally sure. And I'll maybe I'll have somebody can tell me this later on, but I'm not, I'm not totally sure. But here's the card for that show, just so we all know, just to take a little break here from that match. Uh, it's Johnny Stamboli and Tommy Dreamer versus Three Minute Warning, which is Jamal and Rosie. And then Justin Credible goes up against Batista. I don't like Justin's chances there. Okay. Uh, Christopher Nowinski goes up against Goldust. Spike Dudley and the Hurricane go up against Lance Storm and William Regal. Okay. This is a raw show, if clear. Very raw show. Kane goes up against Test, who's coming to the ring by Stacey Keebler. D'Lo Brown uh, goes up against Raven, which is a real Sunday Night Heat match if ever was one. Jacqueline and Trish Stratus go up against Molly Holly and Victoria. Rico goes up against Rob Van Dam. And the main event is the World Tag Team title match between Chris Jericho and Christian, the champions against Bubba Ray Dudley and Jeff Hardy. So the World Champion is not there at all. 
and you got a bunch of mid-carders. And that's your show, Halifax. Yeah, yikes. And I may or may not have gone to it. I don't have a lot of memories of that specific. Went to a lot. Thankfully, with this time, went to a few live shows, which I liked. Right. So anyway, <clears throat> I bring that up because it was, it was on the screen there. So <clears throat> Yeah, that's perfect. So Chuck tosses Devon high in the air, and Simmons gets tagged in. And Cole and Taz keep calling him Farouk. And even though he's called Simmons earlier, and I just this is the thing that makes me really annoyed by this match is that I don't I think I don't know if they know what they're doing like on SmackDown period. I'm like, what do you like? Like I don't get the whole thing of saying it's going to be Batista. I don't get the thing of it's actually Farouk. Oh wait, we're calling him Ron Simmons. Like what is going on here? Like they're not, they're not even like calling him Farouk, being like I guess you call him Ron Simmons now. Like they're not even playing with that idea. So this is one of the times on the show where I've been like, is there anybody behind the wheel on this? Like are we what's happening? <laughs> just spilling out of control. Just, oh man, so. Devon tells Billy on the apron uh, to suck it, which sets Billy off. But I got to think, like, surely people have been yelling at that him, that at him for years. That's right. At this point, like Billy, you should taste, be used to, like taste of your own medicine. Yeah, people in the airport say, "Hey, suck it, Billy." And like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> exactly. It's justice. Thank you. Exactly. It tastes your own medicine. So Michael Cole and Taz take time to theorize about the connection between Devon and Simmons, and uh, they they just get nothing. They have no kind of like idea of what it would be. I, I think the one thing you could kind of you know, point to is the fact that they are, in fact, both African American gentlemen. And uh, earlier right. in the night, they paired together two fat guys. So it wouldn't be surprising if they're just like, "Wow, what about the two black guys who are on the t- on the on the brand here?" Like the the, the joke uh, that I, um, I wish joke that I Brian wish... would make here would be that they should be managed by Teddy Teddy Long, which was in WCW. What they used to do is every black wrestler was managed by Teddy Long, and they acted like there wasn't a reason for it, but they're just kind of like, "Oh yeah, they all need to be managed by the same guy." And it's like, "What's why?" Oh, why? Man. So I feel like that's the only real connection here. Yeah, I wish that wasn't the case, but yeah. I feel like it is as well. I think it's the reason. So Devon and uh, Simmons, they go for this what's up headbutt to the grind, kind of like the what they used to do with the Dudley boys. Uh, but it gets reversed. It's a very complicated kind of thing where but both the uh, the headbutt guy gets tossed off and the guy doing it gets... Yeah, well, and... Ron Simmons has to hold uh, who Chuck or Billy Yeah, um, in a really awkward way in order for this to work. Yeah, oh yeah. Because that's not the way you hold the legs for this move. He's, right. like, he's like holding the thighs and he's like doubled over. Right. He's like, please, please reverse. This is how I go in there. So, yeah. So Devon uh, hit, uh, hits uh, Devon hits Simmons, I believe, is what happens. Exactly what we're describing there. So um, Ron Simmons and Devon do this back suplex into a neckbreaker combo for two. And then uh, Devon goes for his saving grace, which is the name of his elevated reverse DDT, which I think they barely named before this. Uh, but that gets reversed. And then Billy goes for something. I'm not sure what. And then Simmons grabs him for a spine buster. And Devon gets on top for the one, two, three. Yep. And they win. That's it. And I thought, hmm, this isn't really a great sign for the main tag team on this brand, who they are objectively, the main tag team, the only one that was really a tag team and, and proper. Uh, and they immediately get eliminated from the tag team title tournament. The amount of story that they've invested in these guys yeah. over the last month, this is a crime. Yeah. Well, you know this what? This is a crime. This is the last Billy and Chuck match you're going to see on WWE television because they're done. This is it. Are they you just, serious? I'm dead serious about this. Billy has a shoulder injury, goes to rehab after this, and Chuck goes and does it a couple other things. And they're, we're going to see both of them again, but it's not going to be as a tag team. Billy and Chuck is done. So what you're seeing, weirdly, this is the thing where we're, this is another example of where we are seeing WWE go, okay, we're done with this. This isn't happening anymore. Just break them up or just have them lose. Who cares? That's brutal. 
I know, I know. And you're exactly right. Like they, they invest a lot of time into them. And there's there's been times where I was in the Billy Chuck versus Chris Jer- uh, Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle was the main event on on SmackDown. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so now it's like, forget it. Well, they're both they're both done. And it maybe maybe sped up by Billy had a shoulder injury and it was like, hey man, Billy Chuck, we don't want you on the shelf while Billy gets hurt. So let's just split you guys up and we'll figure something out. I mean, you're not gay anymore. So what's even the connection here? <laughs> so. so the the reason for me of this being a low light yeah. is twofold. It's mm-hmm. what the hell is Devon doing winning in a tag team tournament without right. his tag team partner now that that's over? Which so, Devon couldn't buy a win before this either. He's just losing everything. No. He's losing velocity. Destroyed, yes. So why is Devon doing this? Why? So yeah. that's dumb. And then you have these guys who are pre-primed. Like they look good they look the Mm -hmm. part and you can really do something with them and then here's where i turn the tables a little bit and my low light kind of gets pinned onto billy and chuck themselves yeah they look good but once a match starts with them they're not great wrestlers right they're just not they're not you you can try and advocate for billy as much as you want yeah but they're stiff and they're they're not smooth. They don't pick up on the rhythm of a match. Like the rhythm is off. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 seem like they'd be really awkward dance partners. They just kind of Billy can pull off some pretty like good power moves here and there, but then he like right. overcompensates his victories with the like the way he celebrates is obnoxious and like not to an endearing point. Yeah, yeah. He's still doing um, some DX stuff all the time with that sort of thing. And Surge is out of balance, and so. I can see why WWE made the decision that they did, but it breaks my heart because outside the ring, I think they're next to perfect. Right. I, I love how they look and I love how just their story had so much potential, but I do think it largely falls on Billy and Chuck themselves for not being great in ring talents. There you go, folks. Daniel comes out with it. He says, boom, not good enough. That's right. Not, you're not, I'm not passing a grade. Another example of saying, see me after class. <laughs> That's right. I, D- Daniel, the teacher. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, you know, and my reason for it is the whole Farouk's Ron Simmons thing just feels so sloppy. And yeah. so this is just such an interesting thing. I mean, it's interesting. Like my first reaction is like, wait, like the main tag team as brand loses this. And it's like, yeah, cause they're done. Like it's just, it's just funny. It's just a whole funny little segment. And uh, it is a, it's not, it's not the best SmackDown you're going to get. But uh, you know what? Things are things are looking up. I say with great with with a lot of sarcasm. As I say, yeah, as they we see are. Don Marie backstage. Yeah, they are. She's in a silk robe and she approaches Al Wilson, Tori Wilson's father. You might remember from earlier. She had a little flirty moment with him, and uh, she asks uh, Al for his opinion on her outfit. And so she shows Al the bikini. You don't you don't see it. Uh, and she shows Al the bikini. There's a big SmackDown pop to that, which this seems like the most appropriate time to have that exact reaction. The it seems like a kind of like an oh my kind of reaction there. Um, and so she says, thanks, Mr. Wilson. And then we get a little bit of a Paul Simon reference here because he says, you can call me Al. He's cracking me up here. Like, oh, I'm just, like His facial expressions, his eyes, his like squinty smirk. Oh well, my he's goodness. literally Tori Wilson's father. Yeah. He's, he's not just, an actor. You, you can tell that he's just like, yeah. I'm really what excited. did I do to deserve this? I'm really excited for you to text me randomly when you're watching SmackDowns to say this is what's happening with Al Wilson. 
I demand it. Even if you're not on the show, I demand you do that so I can laugh. So we get to the bikini contest. It's Tori Wilson versus Don Marie. It's the second bikini contest in two weeks. I feel like it's incredibly lazy booking. The real optimistic take on it is, well, Don Marie did challenge her last week, so which I think is fair. So once again, Taz is hosting, and uh, he calls Tori the champion from last week like it's a title almost. And that's when I was like realizing, like, I'm a little surprised they didn't try to make like a bikini contest champion. Like, oh, you get a little amazing. belt that's shaped like a bikini or something like that. It seems like something they would do. Oh my gosh! Yes. I think if I, if I went back in time and told Paul Heyman that, he'd be like, "Do that, ordering that. We're making that right now." <laughs> the girls, the women's title, they have that. We have the bikini title. <laughs> totally surprised. So, Don Marie is in uh, a black robe. Uh, Tori Wilson is in white. Uh, when Tori randomly has a lollipop for some reason, I guess because it's sexy is the idea. But she just has it. I'm like, well, she's just it? staring Don Marie down when she comes down, just really oh, yeah. working that lollipop. I'm like, oh my goodness. In the front row, there's a woman wearing overalls. I'd love to know what her reaction is to all this. <laughs> all people in the overalls. What do you think of this? Uh, I I could look like that. I don't even know. Maybe. I mean, maybe I, I really I would love to know. If I could get an interview with her, I absolutely would. So Taz points out there's no judges this week, which kind of seems like an oversight, because obviously last week we had Billy and Chuck, the now defunct tag team. We're doing it. So he says it's just Wait, the case. Well, we've established they're not gay last week. So Yes. Like, okay, mission accomplished. They're not gay. They should have went like anybody else here that we think is gay that we could possibly get out here to clear that clear that up. Um, so yeah, so he's so Tana says, okay, we're gonna get the Cajuns in attendance to the side, and they don't have an applause meter. So this feels fishy. I'm just gonna say this right now. This feels predetermined. I don't like accusing them of that, but I have to say, it feels like WWE is predetermining the finishes of this, this bikini contest. No, no, it, it was a stack deck. There's no way Don Marie was ever beating uh. Tori. It's true. So, so Don goes first, and Tori looks at her like she's delusional. Like she looks at her like you're an idiot. She is. But, but <laughs> let, let, I will let's say this. Be serious, man. I'm gonna try to speak about this in the in the most dignified way I can. If we're, if we're gonna degrade women, let's just degrade women. Here. Like, Don Marie is not. Don Marie is not obviously less attractive than Tori. I'll say that. Like it's not like you look at them and you're just oh like, she she is. Okay. Okay. She is obviously. <laughs> She looks at, but she looks at her like she's like, uh, like, like, like she's like a C grade uh, specimen. And I just, anyway, I think compared Tori's, to Tori, she is. Okay, this is funny. This is not what I expected. <laughs> so, so Tori goes next. She gets a much bigger reaction, probably because her bikini is literally the same color as her skin. Yeah, uh, it's like the exact same thing. Which is like, I don't even know how you match that. You're tan. That, that, so you're... that that's the that's the ace in the hole there. That's yeah, exactly. They knew that was gonna happen. So. After the fact, Don gets booed and Tori gets cheered, so she wins. Again, I feel like it's predetermined. And then uh, Don goes to shake hands afterwards, and she slaps Tori before tossing her out of the ring. Um, and Michael Cole asks, what's gotten into T- Don Marie? Which is funny, because Don Marie has been a bad guy this whole time. <laughs> like She's a heel. She's just like, she's flirting with Tori's dad. She's interrupting promos. And Michael Cole's like, what's going on with her? I thought she was a sweetheart. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's not, we don't think that. I do have to give Tori props here, though, for this. Mm-hmm bump she takes in a bikini right that would be a whole concern that you know you're everything got to stay where it needs to be there yeah so and also just like no knee pads no elbow like oh it's true it's true i mean she might as well yeah she's wearing next to nothing truly yeah so it's like okay solid great yeah so uh hard left turn as we see brock lesnar and paul Heyman in the back of the interview area there (laughs) yes so uh, the, the the sexy time is over, folks. We're we're down to business again. So, they're, they're, so the, Paul Heyman then Brock are walking by the interview area, and Stephanie McMahon stops them to share an update on the Undertaker. Undertaker, rather, which we are waiting for with bated breath. Oh my gosh! This whole time I was like, get these ladies off the screen. I want to know what's going on with Taker. That's right. So she says his hand is officially broken, 
But she also, uh, he also insists that he compete in the rematch, so he doesn't want to give it up. So Stephanie says she's decided on a stipulation. And then she waits like five seconds. And she says it's going to be hell in a cell. And the initial so reaction, the initial reaction is a SmackDown pop. And then clearly there's this cheer as people kind of realize what this means. It's like this kind of natural rumbling kind of movement where people are like, oh my gosh, hell in a cell. That sounds amazing. Um, I don't know why they had to add a little sweetness at the beginning there. Because right. it almost sounds cooler that they kind of like people have to realize it. Anyway, this show, man. So yeah, well, Paul and Heyman, I really love how yeah. Heyman sells this. Right? Oh yeah, like they are not like, thrilled. Yeah, it's like a big scary thing, which is very good. Uh, so this is going to be the ninth Hell in a Cell match. It's going to be the first since May's match against uh, Jericho and Triple H. So if you want to see a Hell in a Cell match in 2002, it's a couple of them. They've got you covered. So <laughs> this next is a branded uh, moment of the night called the Cool Color of the Night, which is brought to you by Maxim Hair Color for guys. Oh yeah, weird. Very weird, weird stuff. Whole little intro, kind of a uh, anyway. Max, what, what do you expect from Max and Hair Color for guys? Anyway, I don't know what the cool color of the night is or what that means, but uh, it's a moment from last week's triple threat match where Rey Mysterio beats Chris Benoit. We're leading up to, of course, this uh, this match coming up here. So that makes sense. The cool color for the night. And so we go to Michael Cole and Taz, and they are they are shocked by this Hell in a Cell announcement. They they are just like, oh my gosh. Taz calls Taker a bloodthirsty dude, which is. Kind of an evolution of what we've heard Undertaker referred to it before, right? You don't hear. I don't think. I don't think when they did the tribute show on Survivor Series, they were like, "He's a bloodthirsty guy." We always remember that about him. So Rey Mysterio versus Chris Benoit. It's your main event tonight, folks. And uh, so Michael Cole calls Ray simply breathtaking, which is kind of a romantic way of talking about a wrestler. I would say, right? Maybe maybe, maybe Ray and uh, Michael Cole are going to have the next commitment ceremony here, for all we know. Um, <laughs> So Benoit brings it to Ray early, hits a backbreaker, and then he gets rams him in the corner. Ray goes for this tilt-to-whirl thing, but then Benoit chops him down. And they're in the corner, and Benoit has Ray in kind of like a razor's edge. But then Ray counters out of it. There's a little hurricane-run action there. Um, there's a wheelbarrow uh, into a bulldog from Ray for two. And then Ray dumps Benoit out of the ring after Benoit kind of blocks his monkey flip. He does kind of the thing where he flips him over himself. And then uh, here's, something, here's something I've never seen Ray Mysterio do. He does a spring forward flipping sent on to the outside where he kind of he does like almost a Jericho esque thing where he's jumping, he jumps on the middle rope yeah. on one side and then he jumps out the other side. I've like never seen that since or before. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember if I've seen it or not, but I, I liked it. I thought it was neat. At least not from Ray. Maybe it's happened before, but I was like, that's cool. So Michael Cole suggests that Benoit looks through tape of Ray when they found out they had a match together. I've always thought this kind of like sometimes they'll talk about tape and it's like, I mean, if you if you watch the show, you're watching these guys all the time anyway. They wrestled right. each other last week. It's not like Benoit needs to figure out things about Ray. Uh, yeah, be yeah, it's funny. It, yeah, back to our beginning conversation. Like, is it different enough to fight someone in tag team versus or in triple threat? Or right. you know, like it's you kind of get a sense. They literally fought last week. I don't think that was a big problem. So uh, Benoit gets this big back body drop and he takes it to Ray in the corner, and then he crosses Ray's hands across his throat to set up a submission, uh, and he gets his uh, his his hands in an X over his throat and. He rolls out and uh, he, sorry, Ray rolls out. And he gets Benoit on the same move, and they keep their hands locked until Ray can get like a sunset flip for two, which is kind of cool. And then Benoit knocks him down afterwards a clothesline. Uh, Benoit gets this kind of a surf, uh, a sort of a surfboard stretch on Ray, and then he hits a back suplex for two. And this is where I'm like, okay, so Angle's going to come out and screw Benoit out of a win here, right? It's that obvious. I mean, it seems kind of like a pretty like tit for tat kind of moment here, um, but we will see. 
Uh, so Benoit pops Ray up into the air, and Ray gets this dropkick on him. And then Ray goes for the springboard moonsault, kind of like a lion's salt, but he gets caught by Benoit. And Benoit drops him on the turnbuckle, and um, or he goes to drop him on the turnbuckle, but Ray gets out, uh, and then he dropkicks Benoit into the corner. And then Ray hits the split-legged moonsault for two, just like RVD. He's That's done good. it before, but I was like, oh, okay, he's doing that as well. It's interesting that he does that. Or maybe I'm confusing with his little Arabian press Sabu style. I don't really know. Anyway, it's it's Ray Mysterio is doing something here that I've seen Robin Dam do instead. Right. So Benoit gets put on the second rope, uh, like kind of in a, in a prone position for six one nine. But Ray gets caught by Benoit, and he gets dropped into the shoulder block. And that leads to Benoit flying more than halfway across the ring with a headbutt, which gets two. Uh, and this is where like. I thought I wouldn't be all that bothered when I see Benoit wrestle and like when he does the headbutt and stuff like that. But like knowing that he gets this such incredible brain damage by the end of his life mm, and he acts out on that, and that it causes such pain for everybody. Um, it kind of sticks out to me now. And maybe it's natural that's going to happen, but it's like it's a bummer that he does the headbutt. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish he didn't do that. I wish he did it like 50 times less. Cause maybe yeah, but like, do you get the sense though that there's actually impact on his head for that move? I think so, yes. Okay. I think so. He's not like, I mean, he's not doing a shoot style thing where he's literally driving his head in there, but I mean, like, I think there's enough trauma put on it by just going up and doing that. Okay, because I, I, I always time, suspected that it was the next time, chest. Watch it the yeah. next time and just, and just try to think, like, from Benoit's perspective, what's literally happening there. Because I'd be interested in your perspective. Cause they, yeah, I, to your people, body. Yeah, okay. People even point to it. I mean, some guys have even said, like, they've really discouraged people from doing headbutts and just, like, it's not worth what you're doing to your head. Right. Which is like anyway. That's so anyway, interesting. You, you, folks, go back and watch for yourself. Make your own decisions with it. It's kind of interesting to see. So Benoit goes for a German suplex, but uh, Raym escapes and he chops down uh, Benoit with a drop kick, knocks him down, and then he gets a, a springboard second rope leg drop, which takes up the six one nine, which Ray hits this time, and uh, Benoit evades a West Coast pop, but then Angle, boop boop, he pops <laughs> in, and he drops Benoit on the rope. And then Ray takes advantage and gets the Hurricane Rana for the win. So my presumption that he would show up. I mean, Kurt Angle shows up for the briefest moment of time. Just be like, whoop, I'm here. Boom, gotcha. Right. Take that. So after the match, Benoit and Angle are face-to-face, and they tussle. There's a German suplex, an ankle lock, a cross face. And then referees... Angle's tapping. He's tapping out. And the referees run in. But did you see somebody in there, Daniel, who's not a referee amongst that crowd? Oh, I'll oh, I did. Fit Finley. Yes, that's right. Fit Finley comes in where he's he's still backstage again. But before he has this, this crazy new run as a as a wrestler, Fit Finley's in there trying to get things figured out. He loves to fight, but he doesn't want to fight. I, 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 I love Visa Finley, man. I, I have a, yeah, I have a yeah. soft spot for that guy. If he had a shillelagh, I think he would probably th- clean things up pretty quick. Oh, and, and, and a little hornswoggle on the side. That's what I was thinking. He just needs a uh, a, <laughs> a short person. Forgot the word for a moment there with the proper thing to call someone of that height. That's all. That's all he needed. Yeah. During the beginning of this match, I just want to point this out. Just yeah. for the love of Taz, I just want. To, <laughs> I just. I just want to let people know what he says here. Please One guy's do. from Edmonton, where it's cold, and the other guy's from San Diego, where it's hot. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's I do love that. <laughs> the energy of a guy who's just like, he does some research and he's just like, I don't know how to connect these parts, but I'm just going to bring them out. He's a very enjoyable presence on the show at this point, I would say. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I so, uh, yeah. So even, even though the refs and Fit Finley are there, uh, Benoit managed to break away from his guys. He rushes angle again and they get put in their separate corners and the show is off the air. And that's the, that's a close on SmackDown from October 3rd, 2002. So Daniel, what's your final thoughts on this show? What do you think? 
Oh man, I uh, I'm I'm really enjoying this show. I think it's great. I, I, there's there's lots of great potential moving forward. I think I think they're really understanding who they have mm-hmm. on their roster. Sure. How to use them and how to spotlight them. And they're just they're just really um they're really getting that and we're getting that here. So the fact that we get Edge versus Kurt Angle, the fact we get Chris Benoit versus Rey Mysterio, we're that's worth the price of admission for sure. Right. There you go. So um, you, you so may remember our uh, our rating, uh, our ranking, or no, it's our, it's our ratings. I'm sorry. There's a better way of putting it. So our ratings scale that we, that we use for this is uh, we, we use the SmackDown titles for this. Uh, Here comes the pain means it's bad. Shut your mouth means you wouldn't say anything about it. It's not really who cares. It's not really great. Or just bring it. So Daniel is to say, here comes the this, pain. Shut your this mouth. Is right just now. bring it for me, man. Nice. Just bring it. Just bring it. I'm loving it. Like, there, there, there is some low stuff here, a little bit of stuff to wade through, but really yeah. by and large, like there's not a, as much Rikishi bulk as there has been the last few weeks. Right. In more ways than one. The, the, that's right. The Chuck and Billy stuff, like we said, they're doing away with it, which at one point is unfortunate, but it leaves more room for some solid stuff. The bikini stuff. Yes. <laughs> does not do any, does not do any favors of the show. Um, kind of an unfortunate, uh, travel through memory lane for us yes. who are now more enlightened, hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully our audience realizes that I was joking around my comments with Tom Marie. Well, you can, so. you can bring it up now. And so it's a little better. <laughs> just, just clarify. <laughs> just clarify. But exactly. Yeah. So, so it's not great there, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff. And like I said, Undertaker versus Brock is a solid main event to carry the show. It does feel like it's not as great as what they could be doing, but it is, it's something to get excited about. It's working well for them, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. So just bring it, you know, uh, two good matches, not unlike last week, maybe not, not on the same scale. Um, and you know, like the tag team title tournament, is such a big event for this show and for this era. And so it's just great to see it get underway. Right. So this is a just bring it. This is the start of something very special here for SmackDown. Even if there's stuff in it that is not good. That's right. And so next week's show, folks, is going to be October 10th, 2002, that episode of SmackDown. So um, check that out. If you want to watch it ahead of time, you can do that. Uh, if not, you can just listen to this and we'll tell you everything that happens in it as well. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for joining us, for being here, for uh, listening. Feel free to, to rate us on Apple Podcasts so we can get more viewers or, or more viewers. I would say viewers. I mean, more listeners to the podcast. If Feel they free could to see us, they'd be signing up like oh, man. wildfire. Exactly. exactly. So They'd be like, these uh, guys are hot. Put them in yes. bikinis. Oh, boy. That's a that's a whole other kettle of fish there. Uh, but, yeah, if there's anybody in your life you think might like this podcast, recommend it to them, too. Why not? Get more people out there listening to the show. Why not? I like that. So, yeah, Daniel, thank you for joining me this week, man. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. No I weddings this, this week. Nobody, this no weddings great. ruined during the show or anything like that. So. <sighs> Which was just a, a major disappointment, really, because that's my bread and butter. That's, I know. Well, we'll have that, you back many times to ruined wedding. I don't know if there's going to be any more ruined wedding. Well, actually, I should, should not speak too soon because there very well might be, actually, now that I think about it, before the end of the 2002. <laughs> anyway, thank you again, man. And thank you all so much for listening. We will see you again next week on the SmackDown 6 podcast. <laughs>